Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping it strong style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here Alongside the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will be reviewing the first two nights of Gazuna Road, discussing the G1 announcements, answering your questions, and of course, we'll cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns at socialsuplex.com. Go to socialsuplex.com slash subscribe to sign up to get all of our podcasts and columns delivered directly to your email inbox. This episode of Keeping a Strong Style is brought to you by Powerslam.tv. Powerslam.tv is an independent wrestling streaming service with over 5,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use promo code SOCIALSUPLEX to get your first month free. Also, make sure to check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash SOCIALSUPLEX. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt as well as other t-shirts from the Social Suplex Podcast Network. All right, young boy. Episode 81. We're here. We're back. And I will be the Chris Charlton to your Mavs Gillis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And I think that uh, we need to start off the show by addressing the issue and the thing that I know is on everybody's mind. And the big question here is who is the mole in chaos? <laughs> <laughs> Is it Ishii? <laughs> oh my gosh! Is it that? Is it that Punk Yo? Who is it? You know, it's it's been a while since we've gotten a who's the mole in chaos question. I, the, the wrestling landscape has changed so vastly. I think it completely has left everyone's mind. But not the young boys. I still remember <laughs> the young boy remembers. <laughs> oh man, no! But the the one thing that we do need to kick off with the thing. The, the rumor that was going around last week that had my DMs, you know, flooded all over the place. Oh, man. There was a rumor last week that our beloved Gato had stepped down from the booking position at New Japan. 
Yeah, so I was at work, you know, just chugging along, doing what I do, you know, trying to earn some people some cash, consolidating some accounts, everything's straight. I looked down at the group chat, which, by the way, is way too busy. Like, y'all need to be doing some work or something productive with y'all's <laughs> lives. I don't know what's going on. Like, anyways, I, I see someone post something about, like, Gato might be – there's a rumor going around that Gato might be, like, leaving. Suddenly, bro, all the hairs on the back of my neck – like stood up a cold <laughs> like a cold chill and shiver went down like my spine and my heart sunk like my stomach just dropped and i was like oh, no <laughs> bro like i had a very literal and visceral reaction to this like to this idea and i was like this bro is this for real this cannot be real within a matter of moments it was confirmed that this was in fact not a real thing that was happening and the color came back into my face and mm-hmm. you know I, I didn't pass out like i thought i was going to the room stopped spinning <laughs> yeah so what happened here yeah so I, it, it was me that put that in the group thread you know um at work you know i have the group thread up on one window i have twitter up another window as i'm working so i happen to you know just scroll over see what's going on, on twitter for a minute in between projects and next thing you know i see voices of wrestling uh twitter Talking about uh, a rumor of Gato stepping down from booking, that it was written in this Japanese blog, and that you know they're reaching out to all their contacts, trying to figure out what's going on. I know like Uprox was reporting about it, and uh, Wrestling Observer, a couple different other publications. Right. Like this seemed to, this news seemed to travel very quickly. Yeah, everybody was hitting up all their sources. You know, I even hit up one of our sources. That's uh, close to the New Japan office, trying to see if he heard anything, see what was going on. And for a while, of course, it was not... You, you were reaching out to our sources? Yeah. I think our sources and everyone else's sources might like all be the same sources. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least one of them, yeah. So, yeah, you know, but everybody in Japan was, uh, you know, sleeping at night. And so, but one source did answer back to, I guess, Emily Pratt from Uproxx with Spandex and she was able to confirm with the New Japan office that, you know, it was a complete rumor of Gato uh, stepping down. Then uh, Voices of Wrestling, our friends uh, Rich Craitch and Joe Lanza, they were able to get um, more confirmation from their sources saying that this rumor was false. Um, Brian Alvarez posted on the Wrestling Observer uh, message board that the news was false. And so, yeah. And this news broke what? With a publication over in Japan? Some Japanese blog. Okay. That's, oh man. And then, of course, you know, the English translators here got a hold of that blog, translated it, and was like, what the hell? <laughs> I just know um, we're in the group chat, and then privately, uh, Murray Bone, what up, Muzza? He, uh, he messaged me, and he was like, you know, do you, what do you think? Do you think Jado, like, if, if he steps down, Jado could maybe step in. Uh, is he a good booker? And I was like, yeah, Jado, Jado's a very good booker. And he was like, yeah, but didn't he run Noah into the ground? And I'm like, yeah, but before that, he popped their business in a way that it hadn't been popped in, like, over a decade and kind of saved the company. Like, people kind of forget that part of it. And I was like, plus, like, yeah, there were some bad booking decisions, but that whole comp- that whole entire situation was a little more convoluted than people realize. There's a lot of, like, politics going on, different business things. And I was like, but Jado, I was like, bottom line is Jado is a good booker. I didn't like put him over say he's the greatest booker ever. I was just like, Jado is a good booker. Next thing I know, that man's posting, he's like, 
Jado could potentially take over Gato. <laughs> Josh says that he's one of the best bookers out there, making it sound like I put my stamp of approval on the speculations that Jado was going to replace Gato. And I was like, hold up. Josh never said. That. I think that's the fastest I've ever seen you reply to anything in the group chat. <laughs> yeah, bro. I was like, let's be, let's make it very clear here. Jo- Josh did not say that Jado is in any way. Hold up, player. Hold up, player. <laughs> but anyways, um, <laughs> so yeah, so Gato will not be leaving us now. I guess there there have been some um, some talks about this, and uh, you know, I heard some some of this going on with like Super J Cast and uh, Voices of Wrestling crew, and they're saying that you know. Even though Gato is like the head booker, he's not the sole booker. Apparently, is that correct? Well, so he so he makes all like the final decisions, the finishes, all that stuff. But he kind of has um, Jado and Rocky Romero as like sounding board. So Jado would be number two, Rocky Romero is number three. It's almost like a committee, right? So he bounces ideas off both those guys, and mm. but essentially at the end of the day. It's Gato's final call. So they're like the booking trinity, basically. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that's good news. I uh, When I heard this, I literally, like, my stomach dropped, and I was like, what if New Japan gets crappy, and I have to keep doing this podcast? <laughs> I don't know if I can handle... Now, here's the thing. This was completely believable news to me, because we've talked about it for a long time. Like, dude, Gato's been on a tear doing this for, what, a decade yeah you know and i mean how many great bookers out there have a history of booking on this kind of level with this sort of like you know fluidity and logic and excellence for this many years and don't get burned out right i mean you can think a lot of great bookers you can think of your paul Heyman's, your gabe sapolsky's you know all these guys that have good runs but eventually bill watts yeah they just get burnt out yeah that that definitely happens so uh, I am glad to hear that this is just a rumor now. Do you think, is there any possibility that where there's smoke, there's fire? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I mean, I mean, we're just speculating at this right. point. But I, there is that little, <clears throat> little lingering like fear, like what if something leaked? And... Right. Or maybe there was some kind of, you know, there was rumors about, you know, people being unhappy with the Dominion finish you know maybe something came out of that or maybe you know there was some kind of mistranslation with the japanese blog maybe he was saying he wishes gato would leave and it got translated incorrectly this man gato's like oh y'all want to boo my main event all right i see how it is thank thanks for nothing after 10 years i'm out of here jato rocky y'all got this but um yeah so that's the big news uh that's been coming up but some other news that broke uh real recently is uh, has to do with the relationship between Ring of Honor and New Japan. Yeah, so while, you know, Voices of Wrestling was um, trying to get some information on what's going on with Gato, um, Joe Lanza was able to get some other scoops happening um, behind the scenes in New Japan. And one of those things that uh, Joe Lanza reported about last week was the fact that there are several Ring of Honor talents who are unhappy with the way that they are treated in uh, Ring of Honor. And um, how they're pushed there. Um, the main name that came out was Juice Robinson, and it was said that Juice doesn't want to work Ring of Honor anymore. Uh, yeah, I guess the report was that he won't be getting booked there going forward, um, which is a little bit surprising. It did seem like they were there. Were, there was a big push in play for Juice. Uh, they gave him his own faction with Lifeblood, and he seemed to factor into the stories. But um, I mean, 
I haven't really kept up with Ring of Honor this year. I know you kind of stopped watching after what, like the the Madison Square Garden show. Yeah, after G One Supercar, I just really Ring of Honor just kind of fell off my rotation for a little bit. I mean, and really nothing's been drawing me to like, oh man, let me watch Ring of Honor. But like you mentioned, like Lifeblood at first, at first kind of seemed like it was going to be, you know, the new top faction, but it's kind of dropped off into like a mid cardy, low card kind of thing. I know we had questions like, how is this going to work with Juice and New Japan, and then you know, working stateside, you know, it kind of almost felt like it was some sort of make good or something of that nature. Right. And it was interesting because when that faction formed, he was the United States champion at the time. And you felt like, oh, maybe they're doing this to kind of build around him and kind of uh, showcase that title over there. And I don't think that ever really happened. No. I think the only pay-per-view since the formation of that uh, faction has really been, what, the Mass Square Garden show. We saw him in that multi-man with, like, Bully Ray, but everything just seemed kind of real convoluted all over the place. Yeah. And um, in the past, New Japan stars have been pushed pretty uh, heavily when they do work Ring of Honor. And it hasn't really, I guess, felt that way. I mean, some guys like Zach has seemed to be pretty prominent when he works there, but, like, Juice, I wouldn't, I don't know, really, you know? A lot of the matches they've had him in, I kind of looked at cage match this week, and it was a lot of tag matches, a lot of, like you said, kind of, like, mid-card meandering things like we haven't seen him in a, in a singles feud or anything of that right nature. And you know i just don't know why they even created that whole lifeblood faction like you have a bunch of guys that could be individual draws and individual acts and they just shell them together i mean juice is perfectly fine on his own i mean i understand you got the finley partnership you want to have him and finley together but juice should have been a standout act on his own Bandito should be an act on his own. Mark Haskins. Mark Haskins. You know, all those guys in that group. Emma. Yeah, Emma. Um, all those people in that group, they should be, you know, standout stars on their own. Yeah, so, I mean, just another kind of, you know, we've kind of wondered what this uh, relationship relationship between Ring of Honor and New Japan was going to be going forward. And, I, I mean, this isn't really necessarily a new thing or, like, an isolated incident. I mean, there have been talk for years that, like, different independent stars didn't necessarily love working ring of honor i mean ring of honor today under the sinclair group is not ring of honor you know from 10 15 years ago right it's definitely not even the same group that it was just five years ago you know uh quite a few things obviously the wrestling landscape has really changed but um you know i i do wonder what this means going forward for the relationship between these two groups i mean what do you think yeah, I mean, this this could not be a good sign looking forward to the relationship. I mean, if, you know, a lot of their guys don't want to work with Ring of Honor, then I think that's something that the New Japan office will take into consideration and be like, okay, like, I mean, the main thing we have with Ring of Honor is just like a talent exchange, and we kind of do some co-branded shows on the States, but we're starting to do our own stuff in the States. Do we really need them? Yeah, that's been the big question. I think a lot of people are obviously really pushing for, for a potential working relationship between AEW and New Japan. Whether that comes about or happens, I'm not completely sure or confident about. Um, you know, just the other week we reported about how when he was asked in the media, um, Harold Mai basically came out and said, you know, we had, we've had we had a long, fruitful relationship with Ring of Honor. We intend to continue to honor that, continue to work with them. But then behind the uh, you know, scenes... It's kind of more like, well, there was issues with the Enzo and Cass thing, and there were, were 
you know, other issues with some of the like s- stories that took place that weren't like necessarily cleared between the two companies. There seems to be like a breakdown in communication. Right. They're we're they're saying one thing, but we're hearing different things. What's going on behind the scenes? And yeah, that is the real question. I mean, we, we you can take a look at how Ring of Honor is drawing right now. They're in the New York market here coming up, and you know, pictures just keep posting every time they hold a show, and like you see more and more empty seats. I know. Uh, we're not the authority on Ring of Honor, but we've attended quite a few shows here in the Lakeland area. And I mean, at pretty much everywhere they go, numbers are significantly down. Right. I mean, especially like you mentioned, in their home markets, I think they're going to be in like New York, Philly coming up soon. The, you know, the market that Ring of Honor has always run in for years now. Well, not only that, but they're following up a big show at Medicine Square Garden. So you would think that, obviously there was a big flying crowd for that, but you would think that there'd be some carryover. Doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. Now I know, like um, last year, we used to get into a big argument and kind of debate when we would talk to say like Rich, and Rich would be like, "Man, Ring of Honor is trash. They're not really doing what they, what it looks like they're doing." We're like, "Dude, their business is like up. It's better than it's ever really been." And he was like, "Man, those are New Japan guys, you know, kind of carrying over into Ring of Honor, and they're basically booking everything around them." We're like, "Well, not really, because." The guys they're booking around are Ring of Honor guys, and we're talking about Cody, the Bucks, Adam Cole, Hangman Page, uh, Marty Skrull. But really, and 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 even though the, they had, you can't diminish the uh, platform of them being in New Japan. But at the same time, they weren't necessarily like New Japan guys. They right. were like they had, uh, you know, split contracts between both companies, and they actually worked more prominently in Ring of Honor. I almost consider them like, I mean, they were New Japan guys, but I almost, I was like, dude, it's not like they're New Japan guys who are coming up, coming over and doing a tour for Ring of it's Honor. Not, it's not like Evil and Sonata were coming right, over, right? Exactly, or or Minoru Suzuki, or you know, uh, Hiromu Takahashi, or, right. or Kushida, or Ishii, or any of that. Uh, you know, these are guys that were there. They're like the pillars, and then. Once they left and once SCU left at the end of the year last year, we talked about, we're like, man, it feels like a changing of the guard. We had some optimism for Ring of Honor based on all the new signings they had. But what it really feels like is like those were Ring of Honor guys, but then they left. And New Japan's business has been fine and has rebounded and has actually grown with the absence of those guys. Ring of Honor's obviously has tanked. But on the flip side, we obviously see what's going on with AEW and it's like the popularity of those guys has only exponentially grown and we're not even talking about like by doubling but by multiples right. by significant multiples mm-hmm. so th- those guys carry their own fan base and it's it's up to Ring of Honor to basically move forward and try to figure out what they want to be how they want to move forward you know in the future when it comes to this television product because they've kind of just Use it as like a nice little ratings booster, you know, here and there. Sinclair basically for their local affiliates, and they don't see it as something that they really want to put money into, or grow, or expand, or or do anything significant with anymore. Right. Yeah, and that's always been the problem since Sinclair's taken over. Never seen you know wrestling as a serious product. Yeah, hey, we'll throw this on our random affiliate channels. It'll play whenever 10, 11 o'clock at night, whatever. Like we don't care, and it's not a lot of effort going into the being put into the company, and so then doesn't help with the way they're booking either so and on the flip side you know i know that new japan has had quite a few struggles here in the states over the past year and it's not quite the same buzz as it was when we started this show 81 episodes ago but with that being said 
you put them in, in some of the same arenas that uh, a or that Ring of Honor is going to be running, and I guarantee you that they do better numbers and have more more draw and that sort of thing. So I I just got to wonder what the future is between these two companies as they move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so another piece of news that I want to talk about before we dump jump into um, some more New Japan talk. Yeah. What happened here? What is what's going on? Once again. It's this this debate pops up every six months it seems now the the whole debate of uh, women's uh, women wrestling in New Japan um, and I, I'm guessing that um, I think Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful.com might have been one of the main people that um, started this whole discussion on Twitter and I know that some other kind of uh, sources too have kind of jumped in this thing, but you know we've talked about this over and over and over again here on this show. Every time it comes up about um, women uh, being in New Japan and why don't uh, why doesn't New Japan book women and it just seems to be the the debate that just it just never ends. And you know once again it usually happens after a big show. Dominion's over, and next thing you know, this debate is popping up. Yeah, so who's Sean Ross at? <laughs> he's from uh, Fightful.com. Okay, so he's pretty well known? Yeah, he's one of like, the best like guys out there right now. Okay, so you, you would like speak pretty highly of him then, it sounds like? Yeah. So what's his deal? Why is he, why is he going in on our brand? Well, it's, it's not just him. There's a bunch of people. I think he might have been the most vocal one, but I mean, a lot of people were like, yeah, you know, New Japan is the second largest company in the world. It's a shame that they don't have uh, women's wrestling. Don't at me, blah, blah, All these accounts kind of jumping in and, you know, your FDS members, you know, they see they see an attack happening. They, they, they're jumping in and it's, everybody's like, yeah, why doesn't New Japan, you know, have their own women's division? And it's just like, oh. I sort of feel like on the one hand, we need to talk about it because it's such a big deal. On the other hand, we've talked about it so many times. I want to like just – I wish I had time to go through our archives, find all the times we've analyzed this in depth. And splice get, it in, get, yeah. Get the time stamps or – yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the – splice <laughs> it in and be like, well – Here's our take. Here's our take. And then we just play it and then we come back and we're like – and it's still our take. <laughs> or like when people are like commenting, we could just like uh, like sticky that to the top of our Twitter and be like – if you want to know our official stance, go to this episode from this time to this right, time. Right. You can hear why. Go to episodes 15, 30, yeah. 60, 75. <laughs> now, a, a couple things. It almost feels like people who are what we call like the FDS, the Fed Defense Squad. People who you know are going in on this. We've said it before, but it, I really think for the most part, not. I don't want to like label everybody but it does feel like in a lot of ways this is not a very genuine argument and when i say genuine like it's not sincere like the people who are doing it it's not like they're so like uh pro women's wrestling and pro you know uh equality between the genders and that sort of thing it's more like i don't like that there's a product that's getting buzz aside from wwe so i'm gonna go in on other companies and the fact of the matter is a lot of them want to go after AEW, but AEW is doing so many things right. And every time they try to go in on them for one thing or another, AEW keeps overcoming their arguments and keeps beating them. So like, let, let's go over here where we can stop <laughs> taking so many L's and maybe – because this is one that, that they're like, 
they're not going to listen to you on until until like the eventual day that New Japan has women's wrestling. They're they're not going to shut up about it. It's right. going to be their one argument anytime anything good happens. In this and I'll be clear, I don't I don't think Sean Ross Sapp was coming from that side like you were saying. That's you know trying to that doesn't really care about that. I think he does care. I think he's actually just really kind of curious. Uh, well, my answer to that would be this, and maybe that's true, but I don't feel like anyone with and I'm sorry to say it like this, but with a brain who's actually using logic and has been done research can come to this kind of conclusion. That's right. my whole take on the thing. It's like, do your research, see why it's set up that way in that culture, and realize that like it's not this company's responsibility to offer that. You know what I mean? Right. When, when there's how many Joshi companies that are offering women's wrestling on a major scale over there, what, at least eight, ten major ones that people know of that you, know, you can see online and support by... <laughs> getting their streaming services or watching their their shows i mean you know and why the other thing too is like why aren't why is it just new japan that people are going after why isn't it noah why isn't it big japan all japan all japan dragon gate dragon gate exactly i think ddt does have like a subgenre of women's wrestling as well but like you know if you notice they don't have like the biggest joshi following because it's this sub cultured thing that they're offering most of the women who are stars that are working there are actually bigger stars in their Joshi promotions and why aren't they talking about now I know that this is kind of like a backwards argument and it's it, it's almost like being like men's rights you know when yeah. men have all the rights <laughs> but at the same time it's like if you think that all companies should offer both wrestling products then why aren't you going at stardom or wave or ice ribbon or Sendai Girl. Sendai Girl or Tokyo Joshi Pro and saying, like, y'all need to feature the men. Right. I mean, it does go both ways. It's it's The, the, the reality is that's a stupid argument. It's a stupid thing. No one would ever say that because it's actually stupid. And it's like, yo, people over there don't, like, people who are Joshi fans don't want their wrestlers to go wrestle and in New Japan. I, I have yet to see a Joshi wrestler come out and say, I want to work in New Japan, but they won't let me. Yeah, and you know we don't know how much money these Joshi girls get paid compared to New Japan guys. I mean, clearly New Japan is you know second largest company in the world, is making big business. So I'm sure just by that, their guys are getting paid more. But we still don't know what the the difference in the scale is. Listen, I think at the end of the day, wrestling is a business. Um, if in their market it made sense to bring in women, and if they brought in women, I would be all for it. <laughs> we like Joshi. Believe it or not, the the uh, <laughs> you know the host of this podcast, we watch Joshi wrestling. Um, my my tastes are obviously more classic, like Gaia and All Japan Women's, but like this man is watching Stardom all the freaking time. Yeah, uh, James got me hooked now. I mean, this this weekend I was watching the uh, Sapporo Night Show from Stardom. So you know, I love Joshi wrestling. I love women's wrestling. You know, I've been to several Shine and Shimmer shows. Um, and, and you know what? The fact that AEW is bringing in some of these women to be stars, maybe that would open up things and and New Japan would bring women in. And if they did, great. By all means. You know, I've said it on this podcast before. They've tried it. They tried it as an experiment a couple times in the past. And guess what? The fans didn't take to it. Because it it's like us it's like a whole entire different genre of wrestling. 
And you can you can basically refine it down to gender if you want to, but it's not that simple. It's not just gender. It's a style of wrestling. It's a brand of wrestling. It, it would be like if, uh, you know, WWE was like, you know, we want to attract, you know, New Japan fans, so we're going to, like, bring in a strong style division. No, it, w- it would be like this. It would be like if New Japan decided we need more comedy acts, so we're going to go over the top and start doing the stuff DDT does. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have a deathmatch uh, division, and we're going to do what Big Japan does. And we need a hyperspeed trios or multi-man division, so we're going to start doing what Dragon Gate does. And by the way, we're going to do Joshi, which, by the way, there's a bunch of different types of Joshi, whether people realize that or not. You know, Each of these companies do have distinctions and differences. They're not all just women's wrestling, quote-unquote. Right. Um that is how the fans over there would see it, probably most likely. They would see it as like, why are, why is New Japan trying to do what Tokyo Joshi Pro does or, or, or Pro Wrestling Wave or whatever? Why are they trying to be stardom? You know, that stuff already exists. And the fans who watch those brands watch those brands. We've heard it from a lot of authorities and, and sources that like the crossover of wrestling fans over in Japan is not what you think it would be. It's not like there's... People are like, hey, I'm gonna put on, uh, you know, ice ribbon. Now I'm gonna put on DDT, and now I'm gonna put on Noah. Yeah, in Japan, people are loyal to the companies that they watch and support. There's not a lot of crossover like here right. in the states. I mean, you get you get your one brand and you stick with it. Right. So, with, with that being said, it's like it it could be a sincere argument, and I would be for it if they brought women's wrestling to New Japan. But a, it's not there as a business. They're not required to do this just like big japan is not required to feature a joshi division and just like other companies are not required to have a deathmatch division it's different types of wrestling you know it it literally be like oh we're gonna start doing shoot style again it's the same stuff it's like there are fans of these genres of wrestling they would and then here's the other thing women would be marginalized they don't have the time to feature women like that uh, unless they like literally cut a portion of the roster. Yeah, if they were to bring in a women's roster, they would probably literally have to cut like half half the men. Maybe not half the men, but a lot of them. And you know what? If some people are like, "Well, cut the men." Okay, fine, cut the men. Is that going to help business? Is basically the the real question. Is it something that New Japan fans are going to take to? Joshi fans are going to take to? Is it going to help the performers? Are they going to be featured the way the men men are? Um, you know, I just don't know the answer to that question. Now, if it if it works and they bring them in, great. But for right now, as it stands, they're not going to. Right. Here's the thing: if you want to see Japanese women's wrestling take a bigger stage, support these uh, Joshi companies. Subscribe to their subscription service. Watch their big shows. Buy their merch. And support those companies because by supporting them, that's how they're going to do better business and be able to book bigger venues. Yeah, the the women who wrestle in these companies are like legit stars, like legit stars. <laughs> they wouldn't be in New Japan. Like they might get over to an extent, but they're never going to be like push, push, push. Do you know what I mean? Right. It it it's just not what it is. Maybe and maybe that would happen one day, but it would take a lot of time, a lot of effort. It's just um. Like I said, I just feel like anyone who's like sincere about the argument, who's like they should have – from face value, it's like do I think men and women are equal and have the same abilities and can wrestle just as well as each other? Sure. Of course they do. 
Do I think it makes sense in this context? No. Do I think it's a misogynistic thing that they're not there? Absolutely not. And I think anyone who's trying to make it sound like it's a misogynistic thing or that they're required to do it, that it's their responsibility, I think that those people are misguided or misled or they're not doing their actual homework on what takes place over there. And I would venture to say in most cases, the majority of them don't watch Joshi, haven't done a history study on any of this stuff. And I'm sure a majority of them don't even watch New Japan. Yeah, and I was going to say that's the other thing. I think a lot of them don't. I feel like the truth is we're probably spending time talking about something that the majority of our listeners already know. I don't want to. And the wanna... faithful who have heard every 81 episode yeah. of Keeping a Strong Style been like, yes, we get it, guys. We've heard you talk about this. Yeah, and again, if they brought women into New Japan, great. I'd be for it. But I just don't know that it's the best thing for anyone involved, honestly. Yeah. All right, so enough of that. Let's. Um... But I'm tired of this popping up every time. Like, it only pops up when New Japan is getting hot. Like, yeah. every six months, we have a big show. It's either Dominion, G1 Finals, or Wrestle Kingdom. You know. Wait, by the way, y'all just had a really good show. Why don't y'all have women? <laughs> <laughs> that show was great, but uh, I didn't see no woman on it, though. Yeah. It's yeah. so, di- it, it literally is disingenuous. All right, so enough of that. We're not talking about women in New Japan on this podcast again. We'll Let's talk about Kazuna Road, man. We, we're going to splice it in from episode 81 going forward every time this, this comes up. Uh, I don't even think we should use this one. This wasn't even our best one. We yeah. had like actual in-depth like discussions about this that are way better than this. That's, that's true. Uh, but yeah, Kazuna Road. So we had two Kazuna Road shows, uh, June 16th and June 17th. And of course, you know, we had the big uh, G1 Climax announcements that happened on both of those shows. We're going to go over the results of both of those shows real quick, and then we will dive into... All the G1 Climax 29 announcements that came from both of these shows. Uh, so both of these shows were in Cork and Hall. Yes. Um, so the first show, like I mentioned, was on June 16th. We kicked off things with uh, Suji and Yumura. Uh Coming into this match, the rivalry was at 33-21. and 21. Yes. Um, and this was a you know, great way to open the show as usual. Um, Suji defeated Yumura with the Boston Crab, um, increasing the record now to 4-3-21. and 21. Thought both guys looked great here as usual. Um, Suji's just getting so huge, man. He's, he's getting jacked, and he just cranked that Boston Crab and submitted Yumura. Dude, Yumura has gotten way better. Uh, his strikes are better. He's got more size. Uh, the story of this match, which was real interesting, was the fact that in the past, he, it was always like his technical acumen and speed versus Suji's brawling and, and size. That's quickly changing. Yumura's strikes are getting way better. He's got enough size. He's not as big as Suji, but he's got way more muscle to where like he's looking like a competent wrestler. Like He doesn't even look like a junior. Like he, these Both these guys might be very close to heavyweight. Um, I really enjoyed this match, and I thought it might, in my opinion, be the best match between Suji and Yumura that I've seen so far. Yeah, I think it was probably one of the best ones, too. And the interesting thing is that they've extended... So when these guys were going through the 21 um, um, draws that they went through, they were wrestling in 10-minute openers, and then they had to extend the time to 15 minutes, and they still had a couple draws, but now they're starting to beat one another. Well, I think, the, no, the first the first match that was extended to 15, I believe Yumura... Went to a finish? Beat, hit, beat um, 
beat Suji before the before it was like eight minutes that he beat him. Okay, they didn't even need the whole, that whole fifteen. And that's been the interesting thing ever since they've. Uh, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Ever since they've extended the time limit, they keep beating each other in like quicker and quicker time. So. Uh, yeah, these guys really are gelling well together now. And I mean, I mean, after 21, you know, 27, 28 matches, you got to figure they got to like get pretty good at working together. And I mean, I love this feud. Rivalry of the year. It is. It is right now in 2019 at the halfway mark. It is one of the rivalry of the year candidates. Dude, it's going to be so awesome in like 10 years when both these guys have already been on excursion and like their top heavyweight stars, like. Talking about this whole like backstory and their rivalry and the dude, promo videos. Dude, I know we talk about the young lions all the time, but when you look at the cl- the current crop, they got Suji, Yumura, Narita, Umino. All four of those guys are just like studs. Like it's really hard to decipher who's the best or or who's the head of the class. I know that like obviously Narita and Umino are senior and they're getting more opportunities, but like Suji and Yumura are coming for their spots, man. Oh like, yeah, they're so hungry. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so then the next match, we had Tomohiro Ishii, Tomioka Hanma, Ren Narita taking on Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Doki. Your favorite wrestler, Doki. Make, making his return on the tour. Um, I thought this was a pretty good match. Um, I thought they did a great job kind of highlighting uh, Narita in this matchup here. I agree. Um, but he, it came down to the end, and Narita fell to a super kick from Taichi. Taichi picking up the win for the Suzuki Goon team. Yep. Then we had uh, Juice Robinson, Mikey Nichols, and Risuke Taguchi taking on the Bullet Club team of Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and Jado. It does seem uh, in these multi-man matches they're starting to try and build up Juice and Mikey Nichols for a potential uh, title challenge. Yeah, they're actually facing the Girls of Destinies in a non-title match on one of the uh, Southern Showdown shows. There's also a six-man tag on one of those uh, Southern Showdown shows. With uh, Mikey Nichols and Juice against uh, G.O.D. and some I form. do have the card. We'll go down that during the news, but that's good to know. Obviously, it makes sense with Mikey Nichols being an Aussie and them being, you know, like we said, down under. So, um, what are your thoughts on Mikey Nichols? They're kind of hiding him in these multi-mans. He seems to be a little more competent in these tag matches. Yeah, they kind of have him multi-mans. He's not in the G1, obviously. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, yeah, so I'm not quite sure what the game plan is for Mikey Nichols. Um I mean, I guess maybe they figured he's a he's a better tag team guy, and so maybe they're going to try and stick him in the tag team division for a while. Um, yeah, aside from, from that, um, this match, I didn't think it was great. There was, a, again, we talked about it on the last tour, there was a lot of Taguchi butt stuff, which I'm just not down with that. Like, I'm fine with him, like, using the hip attacks. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But when they do the comedy stuff with his butt, like jamming stuff in his butt... Right. And pulling his pants out of the hand with a kendo down. stick. I'm I don't really love that. Plus, Giotto just like can barely move in the ring these days. Um, and God, as much as I love Tamatanga and Tangaloa, sometimes you know they just take the night off and you they're, know, they're they, down with the foolishness. Yeah, they just kind of do what they do. So this match was fine, but uh, ultimately. Um, uh, Taguchi ends up cradling uh, Jado, gets the ankle lock, and Jado taps out at nine minutes five seconds via submission. So uh, Taguchi Japan team wins. Yeah. The next we had Kota Ibushi teaming up with Yuji Nagata, Jushin Thunder Liger, Tiger Mask Four, and Shota Umino taking on Los Ingobernables de Japón, Naito, Evil, Sonata, Shingo, and Bushi. Oh my God, Ibushi and Naito were across the ring from each other <laughs> once again, uh, and nobody died. Nobody died. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, once again, you know, we say it over and over. Lij multiband matches are always really good. Yeah, uh, I mean, Lij they're one of the best factions when it comes to double team maneuvers and kind of working together and setting up the flow of Bro, their matches. I do wonder how they have such good flow. Like we've seen so many multiband units, and these guys are always on no matter no matter what night it is. And even with the addition of Shingo, he's yeah. kind of uh, slipped right in there and fit perfectly well with them. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, pretty good matchup here. I thought Umino was good in this. Yeah, Umino had a great fire in this match. And it seemed like, you know, Naito was kind of messing with Tiger Mask in this match. And for whatever reason, everybody just wants to piss off Tiger Mask. I mean, not Tiger Mask. I mean, excuse me, Jushin Thunder Liger. Yeah. Um, and one day they're going to you know, they're gonna push him too far. Well, Naito had a bloody nose or a bloody mouth in this match. I don't know exactly what caused that. Did you catch that? I'm not sure either. It's like It randomly happened, like... I think one point he was outside and he came back in and he was like bleeding from the mouth out of nose. I couldn't tell. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure how that happened. Uh, but it came down to a pumping bomber on Umino and Shingo picks up the win for LIJ. And then the interesting story here post match, um, LIJ, of course, you know, Naito puts his fist up for the big LIJ fist bump. They all start coming together, but Evil refuses to put his hands into the LIJ fist bump. Just like we saw last year, it was Sonata who was the one who refused to take the fist bump um, before. And this is, you know, heading into G1 Climax. All these guys, you know, they're going to be in different blocks and facing each other. And so Evil kind of sending the message like, you know, there's no LIJ when it comes G1 time. Yeah, yeah, Evil's got his game face on. He's pretty serious here. So uh, the, the big news coming out of this match, the disillusion of uh, LIJ, they are now broken up, no longer a faction. They're split, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, After that, we ended up getting the announcement of the G1 blocks. Real quick, we did have a question, though, from okay, gotcha. Reddit user uh, Zach Saber Time. He says, what do you guys think about the LIJ breakup rumors running around? We see this happen every year, so I'm not going to sweat it. For everyone that says Sonata will leave, I doubt it. I think he can handle himself solo. Also, they're popular. Why would they break up LIJ? Have you heard any like legit rumors that this is something that's happening? Oh, I haven't. I haven't either. Um, uh, maybe Zack Sabre time has run to people who have been trying to start that rumor. Like, I, I have seen people online address the rumor being like they're not breaking up. So I'm guessing it must be something online, but I haven't heard that rumor. Yeah, I haven't heard that rumor. And I, like you mentioned, Zack Sabre Time is something they did last year with Sonata. And I just think it's LIJ trying to be competitive with each other. Naito smiled when Evil backed off and walked away. Right. Um, so it's just them, you know, it's just Evil being the one to be like, all right, you know, I'm I'm very serious about this G1. This will be my moment to break out. I don't have time for this LIJ stuff right now. So after that, we got the announcement of the blocks, which we'll cover here in just a bit. But big moment, lots of big surprises, big pops. Um, and we move on to the next match of the night. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Togi Makabe, and Toriyano taking on the team of Jay White, uh, Yujiro Takahashi, making his return. Uh, that was This is his first match back, right? Yes. And Chase Owens. So we get a six-man tag. Uh, this was okay. Yeah, a solid matchup here. Um, Tanahashi looked better. Yeah, he did. He was moving a lot better. Uh, I mean, the whole purpose of this match was to set up the never six-man uh, title match that happened on today's show. Uh, Bullet Club ends up getting the win here, where if um, Chase Owens, he cradles up uh, Makabe, pulls the ties, gets the win. Chase Owens pinning former IWGP champions out here. 
That means he's getting in the G1, right? <laughs> I think he deserves the IWGP title shot, right? The crown jewel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we had um, Kazuchika Okada, Yoshihashi, and Toa Hanare taking on the Suzuki-Gun team of Minoru Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr., and Lance Archer. Um, one of the things that played into this match was the block announcements. Um most of you know by now, Minoru Suzuki was not one of the guys that was announced for this year's G1 Climax. Suzuki came off looking more pissed off than usual um, and was taking out all his frustrations on Okada. Uh, aside from that, we also know at the end of this tour, Yoshihashi is in line for a shot at the Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight Championship. So they've been playing that up between him and Zack Sabre throughout these matches. And uh, definitely tension between Minoru Suzuki and and his teammates because his other teammates were all announced for the uh, G1 and he was excluded plus Okada on the other side and you know there's no love lost there between him and Suzuki also the fact that Okada is the ace of the company and is the IWGP champion so he had a big red target on his back all throughout the match from Suzuki yeah Suzuki's like I can kill Okada then I can get in the G1 <laughs> <laughs> I think that might have been his game plan going into this match then um, coming down to the end of the match, Lance Archer gets the claw on Toa Hanare and submits Toa Hanare with the claw to pick up the win for Suzuki Goon. Um, then we get a post match. Before we move on, I yeah. need I need to discuss this. Should I, as a 1980s wrestling mark, love the fact that someone is bringing back the claw and that it, that they're trying to get over a move that really I think the last time we saw someone use it to any real effect was what Great Kali in 2007. Yeah. Um, or should I hate it because this is such an unbelievable move and it belongs back in nineteen in the eighties and the sixties, and it has no place in modern uh, pro wrestling, especially New Japan in twenty nineteen. How should I feel about this? I don't know, man. I mean, you know, Archer is from Dallas. First show is going to be in Dallas. They're trying to, you know, you know, bring some nostalgia. You know, rustle up some memories of the the Von Erich family using the claw. Um, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of Archer using the claw. I'd rather him just use a blackout. I got to tell you, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look believable. I know there was a time and place where it was believable and people got behind it. And maybe I'm a hater. If I'm a hater, I'm a hater. I, I hate the claw. I hate it. <laughs> I don't like the iron claw, bro. Like, unless, like, Baron Von Raschke is going to get in the ring and, like, wrestle at, at his old age and, like, get the nostalgia pop, I really don't see anyone should be using that. I'm sure, like, we probably have, like, the Von Erich kids listening in right now, and they're like, what the heck? Because I'm sure they use it on the indies. I think they're about to start working MLW. Yeah, right? they are. Yeah, they're teaming up with uh, Filthy Tom Lawler soon to help him fight off the Contra unit. Unless those guys are using it, I don't think anyone should be using it, especially not uh, Lance Archer, unfortunately. That's my take. So then we had a post-match promo from Suzuki questioning his G1 exclusion. He says he wants in, and he wants to hurt people, and he's demanding a play-in match. And he's not pleased at all. And also on Twitter, he was kind of saying, you know, New Japan's not listening to the voices, and that he should be in the G1 Climax. Yeah, I saw something about uh, his, post, his post-match his promo in the back. He said something about, like, Suzuki Goon Army, like, everyone, like, riot, get outraged. Like, he's, like, trying to incite people to violence in the streets, this man, Minoru <laughs> Suzuki. Yeah. Uh, Calling people to action. <laughs> there will be a revolution. Uh, but then we had our main event of the evening. The IWGP Junior Tag Titles were on the line as the current champions, Rapungi 3K, defended against 
the Bullet Club team of Taiji Ishimori and El Phantasmo. Not the first time we've seen Phantasmo and Ishimori team. They defeated um, Will Ospreay and Dragon Lee uh, at the end of the Dontaku tour. And, and that's a formidable tag team they defeated to uh, get to this point. And then they defeated Rapungi 3K in that multi-man match um, to get this tag title shot. Also, notably, no Rocky Romero at ringside to accompany Rapungi 3K on this evening. And, yeah. and I was kind of thinking, Rocky is uh, Phantasmo's uh, Achilles heel because he beat that man in Gorkin. Yeah, he did. Give that man a reminder <laughs> what a real loss feels like. Uh, but yeah, no Rocky Romero. The the coach and captain of Rapungi 3K was missing, and I guess that was the, the downfall of Rapungi 3K here. Uh, this was the overall. This was a very good match. Um, it's pretty good. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a blowaway match or anything, but I thought it was still pretty good. I was in the three and a half range of it. Uh, came down. I'd agree. To the end with, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of uh, Bullet Club shenanigans in here, a lot of ref brumps, um, and it came down to the end with Phantasmo hitting the CR2 on Yo, and we have new IWGP Junior Tag Champs, Taiji Ishimori and El Phantasmo. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the real story here at the very end was that Rapungi 3K looked like they were on their way to another successful title defense. Um, Yo ended up hitting a German and getting two on Phantasmo. And when Sho came back and hit the lumbar check, everything broke down, ref bump. And then at that moment with the, with the ref, you know, down for the count, um, Phantasmo punches. He literally is straight up. Not even like the normal low blow. Like he, like he, he hits him with a straight right cross. Yeah. Like literally like. Right to the nads. <laughs> just hits him, hits freaking Yo right in his ads, hits him with the nads, hits him with the CR2. And that kind of uh, really tanks for lack of a better word, the win of uh, Bullet Club. But they made a promise that they were going to uh, take these titles. And now uh, El Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori with gold around their waist. Ish uh, Phantasmo, a double champion now. Yeah. Um, then we had a question from Muzza. He says, do you think ELP and Ishimori should have won the junior tag belts? Or do you think they should have let Rapungi 3K have a longer reign? Um, you know, at this point... Uh, I think it's fine. I think the the reality is there's not very many good challengers. In if in a perfect world, I would want Rapongi 3K to go on a lengthy title reign and have many challengers and really establish these belts. And I think we say that almost every time, um, you know, a group wins these belts, and most of the time it's Rapongi 3K, but they don't tend to have long title reigns because they don't have a lot of right. It's one of those things in order for them for them to have views, they kind of have to. You know, chase bounce the, the yeah, bounce the belts back and forth, and kind of hot potato or chase the titles because there's just not that many teams in the division. Dude, they're the sting of <laughs> of the IWGP Junior Division. You like, know, all these people that they're they're worried about uh, women in New Japan, they need to be worried about getting this Junior Tag Division unified with the Heavyweight Tag Division. <laughs> Well, let's let's you know rally against that cry right there. Let's you know get that in the universe. Well, we made some inroads last year. They let the young bucks come up, and uh, we've got some big news about the juniors in the in the G one here coming up shortly. So I think we, we've been making some strides. Plus, we saw uh, Rapungi three K get some wins over heavyweights in multi man matches last year. So I think we're on the uptick. Things aren't exactly where we want them to be, but. You know, plenty to be be thankful for, but yeah, uh, Ishimori and Phantasmo ended up uh, attacking uh, post match until Taguchi comes out and makes the save. Obviously, kind of uh, teasing the matchup between Phantasmo and Taguchi, which are, is also coming up at the end of this uh, this um, tour as well. 
and Rapungi 3K, I thought it was funny they because they got saved and they were still in the ring. They still had to cut a post match promo, right? <laughs> even though they lost, which yeah. is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, still try to send the crowd home happy. So interesting night there, and then we move on to uh, Kazuna Road night two on June seventeenth. That was earlier this morning. Yep, once again back in Corkin Hall. Um, kicked off the same way we did on night one with Suji and Yumura, and uh, another uh, good opener. And Yumura was able to even things up once again by defeating Suji. He hit this beautiful um, double overhook overhead bridging suplex to get the win here. So I didn't get. I was. Uh, I had personal things going on earlier today, so I haven't gotten a chance to watch this show in its entirety. Um, when you say a bridging over, you know, a bridging suplex, um, are you saying like a German or like a belly to belly? No, so he had, it was like he was facing belly to belly style, but he had a double overhook over the arms. Oh. And it was a, a front suplex. So it's a butterfly, it's overhead butterfly suplex. Yeah. And he locked it in for the pinfall. Yeah, it was beautiful. He just tossed uh, Suji. It was a nice, Com- beautiful Comparing suplex. this match to night two, which did you think was the better match? I don't know. I thought they were both pretty good. I thought they were pretty yeah. much on the same level. Okay, perfect. So these guys are even, 4-4 and 21. And uh, we move on to the second match of the night. Uh, Tomoaki, Hanma, and uh, Hanare. Uh, the new, you know how we had like the new rockers? The new GBH? Yeah, the new GBH. <laughs> Hanma and Hanare taking uh, on Yuji Nagata and Shota Umino. Uh, Nagata and his son. <laughs> yeah, so this was a good matchup. Uh, Hanare um, got the uh, Toa bottom on Shota Umino to get the win for his team and 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 his and punching his ticket into the G1 climax. <laughs> the C block. The C block. <laughs> no, but post match he did go over to the English team and he's like, "What do I have to do to get in the G1? I want to be in the G1." Uh, you have to beat a heavyweight in singles action at some point during the calendar year, Hanari. That's what you might need to do to get into the G1, <laughs> which I don't think he's done all year, to be honest with you. Yeah, but he got the win here for his team here. Even when he took on Big Trent, he didn't win. Yeah, man. <laughs> so we move on. Kota Ibushi, uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan. Tenzan back. Yeah, Tenzan. I think, yeah, Tenzan was back. He was uh, tweeting about it and saying, you know, he was uh, unveiling some new, more violent moves for his return. And, uh, yeah, he wants to keep competing. Uh, Satoshi Kojima and Jushin Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask taking on the team of Tetsuya Naito, Evil, Sonata, Shingo, and Bushi. And, like, pretty much the same thing as the previous night. Another, you know, three and a quarter, three and a half match here with LIJ. Um, You know, Naito was, once again, just, like, really picking on um, Jushin Liger in this match. Uh, Came down to the end with um, Sonata... um, Getting Tiger Mask in the skull end and tapping him out. And then um, post-match, you know, Naito and Jushin Thunder Liger were kind of getting in each other's face. And kind of, you know, they had to like kind of separate those guys. And then once um, Liger left, of course, they went for the LIJ fist bump once again. And then Evil bails on them once again. Um, letting, you know, Naito and Sonata know and Chingo that... He's serious about the um, G1. And he also review, refused at the beginning of the match as well, right? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's twice in the same night. Just, you know, basically saying like, nah, I'm, I'm with the smoke. <laughs> I want the smoke. After that, they announced the G1 matchups. Uh, 
and we'll cover that, including the first night of Dallas. So we've got a lot of big news coming up when it uh, comes to the G1. And I know you guys are chomping at the bit for that, so we're going to get to that real quick. Um, after they uh, made those annou announcements, we had a multi-man match. Jay White, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, and Taiji Ishimori taking on the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, Mikey Nichols, and Ren Narita. And I did see this match, and I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, this was a pretty good match. Obviously, they're continuing the tease tension between G.O.D. and Nichols and uh, Juice for the Southern Showdown Tour and a potential future IWGP tag title match. And, of course, Jay White and Tanahashi um, still have heat based off their last match and the kind of like their rivalry going on. And uh, once again, I thought Ren Narita looked pretty good in this matchup here. Dude, I'm loving how much shine Umino and uh, Narita are getting in all these multi-man matches. Yeah. I mean, you know what the outcome's going to be, but until the outcome comes, these guys are on fire. They're they're hitting all their marks, like, and it's great. It's great to see them, you know, mix it up with these guys. Um, even him and Jay White interacting was pretty cool. I thought, yeah. I was like, man, I really dig this. Which, by the way, Jay White has foregone... The, I don't know what you would have called his old facial hair that I didn't like last week, and he's decided to kind of grow out the full beard. I think he was probably listening last week. He's like, young boy's right. He went and got some beard oil. He got some beard oil. He got it trimmed up. He got it. He's grown it out. He's been taking some biotin vitamins and uh, and some prenatals. And yeah, his his beard's starting to come in. I'm starting to get. I'm getting on the Jay White beard <laughs> game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so this match came down to Taiji Ishimori locking on the LaBelle lock on Ren Narita. Uh, Narita tried to fight out, but uh, Ishimori rolled him right back into the middle, and Narita taps out, and Ishimori gets the win for the Bullet Club team here. Ooh, favorite moment of the match. There's one moment where Narita, uh, he has that new, I don't even know what you call it, but it's like a leg lock submission. It's oh, he does like the, the leg lace into like a, I don't even, yeah, I don't even, because it's, it's like a death, a scorpion death lock, except his leg's not his in the leg's middle. His leg's not in it, and it's, so it's not quite like a, a cloverleaf, but it's similar to a cloverleaf. Yeah. But he locks uh, Ishimori into that, and then Tanahashi grabs one of those guys, and Tanahashi puts them in the, um, cloverleaf. the cloverleaf, and then um, freaking Juice uh, puts on his crappy Boston crab that the, he does the, now. The, ten, the ten's on, yeah. And then Mikey Nichols grabs a single leg, and they had all, all four of the Bull Club members in, in submissions at the same time. And, like, I just love that sometimes. <laughs> I just love that. Favorite moment of the match. So then we had the never six-man uh, tag title match with the champions, the most violent perverts, Togi Makabe, Toriano, and Risuke Taguchi taking on the Bullet Club team of... El Fantasmo, Chase Owens, and Yujiro Takahashi. You can't even get main event status with the Never titles. That's crazy. Yeah. El Fantasmo looking to uh, go home with three belts um, in this matchup here. Uh, but that was not the case. Fantasmo, three belts? Yeah. But yeah, that was not the case. The most violent perverts got the win here uh, with Yano hitting a low blow and uh, Makabe hitting a lariat and Yano rolling. Um, up Chase Owens for the win. Yeah, this match was fine. It didn't really have to be anything great, but again, it wasn't anything great. I wouldn't even have gone necessarily to three stars. It was from a mechanic standpoint, it was fine, but I didn't feel like it ever like really picked up. And it, it did get up. It was 15 minutes. It felt a little longer than that. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, you know, Makabe and Toriano and Taguchi, uh, you know, de successfully defending the Never Tag Belts. They've had those for a while now. It seems like. Yeah, I think this was their third defense. Man. That's like one of the longest defenses I think in never history. 
are the most violent perverts like a tag team of the year candidate right now and at the halfway mark of the year? They are. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you mentioned earlier that like people need to start worrying about unifying the tag divisions. We just need to worry about booking the tag divisions. I think Gato should just appoint like be like Rocky. You take over the tag division. Just do what you get. That's how they used to do it with Liger. Liger Liger used to book the the juniors. They need to let somebody just book the tag division because shambles right now. They got yeah. They got the MVPs as one of the best tag teams in New Japan right now. It's crazy. <laughs> and then we had a big tag team main event. We had the young boy Josh Smith special here. The five-on-five five elimination match with Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshihashi, Sho and Yo representing Chaos, taking on the Suzuki Goon team of Minoru Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Lance Archer, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. And as it comes to no surprise to anyone who knows that I love the five-on-five, ten-man tag elimination matches in New Japan, I really dug this match. Now, I do want to say, though, the match wasn't perfect, and we're going to discuss it here in a moment, but it had uh, some issues. One thing, though, Chris Charlton was on uh, commentary, and he always is great and always brings a lot of history. And he did mention uh, two of the more famous... um, five-on-five elimination matches from the 80s, which is why I love these matches. And he mentioned the 88 match, which was the the old leaders taking on the young leaders, which was a great match. He also mentioned the UWFI versus uh, New Japan feud from, uh, I believe, 85 or 86. And he said that that was the most famous of the elimination matches and the best one. But he's actually wrong, Chris Charlton. Chris Charlton, good friend of the show. You're wrong, sir. <laughs> the best match is the one from 83, or maybe it was 84. Either 83 or 84, but it's the one between um, Ishin Gundan taking on uh, Sekigun uh, with the teams that were led by um, Fujinami and Choshu. That's the best one of all time. And you can, in fact, to me, that's the best 80s match of New Japan in history. It's over an hour long. Don't at me. You can't at me because I'm not on Twitter. But still. <laughs> Don't at keeping a strong style. Don't at keep stri- keeping a strong <laughs> style. Um, but you guys should watch that match. It's awesome. Yeah, but I thought this match was uh, pretty good. I thought it was laid out pretty well. Um, you know, they continue the storyline of Suzuki being frustrated about not being in the G1 Climax. Continu- Dude, Suzuki's going to kill somebody. Continue the attack on Okada, and he was just uh, going completely crazy. He locked in a submission hole, wouldn't break it. Red Shoes did the most stupidest thing that anybody can do. He struck Minoru Suzuki. Bro, I was like, <gasps> this man is a death wish. He put them red shoes on to Suzuki. Bro, he put them hands on Suzuki. Yeah. Like, red shoes is like, you're going to get these hands. <laughs> you're going to learn today. Yeah. Now, before that happened, I did have a big problem with this match where, in typical Suzuki Goon fashion, they, they attacked at the beginning of the match. Everyone's on the outside and they're brawling and they're brawling and they're brawling. And they're brawling, and they're brawling, and Red Shoes keeps counting, but doesn't finish the count. And they keep brawling, and no one's getting inside, and it just goes on. And I know that this sort of thing does happen in New Japan quite quite often. They give guys a lot of leniency. They exercise a lot of uh, like you know uh, discretion when it comes to countouts. But this was too long for nobody to get counted out. Someone should have got counted out, and this was like. I know I sound like Jim Ross here, but someone should have got eliminated there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was kind of – and it was pretty long too. It was long. Yeah. yeah. But then um, after after uh, Red Shoes went after Suzuki, 
Suzuki lost his damn mind and got up and he was enraged, bro. Yeah, he grabbed uh, Red Shoes, threw him down. Uh, Red Shoes went outside, talked to the ring keeper and ring announcer, and uh, the bell rung and Suzuki was disqualified. Bro, and Suzuki's face looked so shocked. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? What did I do? <laughs> like, you only, like, grabbed the referee by his shirt and tossed him onto his head and his, like, shoulder and, like, you know. And not to mention you didn't break the the, the hole at the five count. Yeah, and he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, it was hilarious. It's a bad call, Ruff. Yeah. <laughs> Ref, you suck. <laughs> Ref, you suck. And then um, afterwards, like, he, he tries to go after, on the outside, he tries to go after Red Shoes. The young lions grab him. And uh, oddly enough, it was Umar and Suji who just went through their own war earlier in the night. Now they got to contend with an enraged old man Suzuki. <laughs> yeah. And he starts putting his hands on them. But he really, like, was beating the crap out of them. He almost went after the timekeeper, like, Nobody is exempt from the rage of Minoru no Suzuki. No one is safe, yeah. Nobody is safe. He had the Lance Archer mindset. Everybody's everybody's going to die. Everybody dies. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, then they continued off the matchup here. Uh, we had, uh, you know, Lance Archer kind of went on a run here. Uh, yeah, Archer okay. went on an awesome run. They really highlighted him in this yeah, match. Yeah, he eliminated Okada, and he eliminated um, Sho and Yo. Yeah, and I was digging. Uh, Okada almost eliminated Archer. Archer got back in. Choke slammed him, tossed him outside. Sho and Yo tried to uh, overpower him together, double team him, get him on the outside. He started fighting them off, ran them into each other, hit his specials on both of them, and then tossed one after the other. It, it gave me a lot of WrestleMania two vibes. Andre the Giant versus uh, the Hart Foundation. So he, you know, he elim- eliminated three guys back to back, and then uh, Big Tom to- Toma, or should I say, Little Tom Tomohiro Ishii gets in the ring. <laughs> And he wanted the smoke when it came to Archer. Yeah, he, he tried and tried. You know, he was chopping him, trying to do a shoulder block. But Archer was pretty much just overpowering him. He tried to hit the Brain Buster. He was stomping on his toes, trying to get him up for the Brain Buster. Um, eventually, he got him up, um, hit the Brain Buster on him. But Archer pretty much recovered pretty quickly. Ishii tried to close on him over the top. Um, but Archer got back in. Um, and then they were kind of both, they were both fighting on the apron. And Archer was going to try to hit the blackout to Ishii from the outside to the right. from the inside to the outside, but then Ishii was able to slide back in the ring and lariat Archer out. Yeah, he said, "Go to hell, get out of here, geek." <laughs> One other thing we forgot to mention: so Doki was not in this match, but he was at ringside. So when they had all the outside ring shenanigans, it was almost like a power play six on five, and it was really, really uneven. Um, Kanemaru didn't do much in this match. We actually forgot to mention he did get eliminated by Okada. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at the top rope and Okada drop kicked him. He fell over the top rope. And in these elimination matches, uh, we we forgot to mention over the top rope is an elimination. So yeah, many... pinfall submission and over top right. DQ obviously. Kanemaru did hit that move though that I really like, where he has a guy straddled on the outside, uh, kind of hanging over the guardrail. And he jumps up on the guardrail and then does like uh, like a leg drop like right on their head like it's freaking awesome it's one of my favorite things he does so he had that one moment but uh, <laughs> at this point Archer gets eliminated so then it comes down to Ishii and Yoshihashi taking on uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and um, Taichi so two on two and we got uh, Ishii and Taichi in the ring um, Ishii is lighting up Taichi and he goes to eliminate um, Taichi gets him out of the ring or was no 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 I'm sorry that wasn't him was it that was a uh, uh, I'm actually messing this up, aren't I? Well, I'm trying to... Because I think that was Yoshihashi that elim- that uh, initially eliminated him. 
Yeah, Yoshiashi's the one that eliminates Tai Chi. So what happened with um with uh Yo with um Tai Chi and Ishii? Ishii. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. I think uh, I don't remember at one point. Oh, I, I only remember the Yoshihashi part. Oh, Tai Chi eliminated Ishii. Right. How did that happen? Uh, Doki. Um, I think Doki helped uh, Tai Chi attack Ishii. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was getting ready to eliminate uh, Yoshi or uh, Tai Chi, and then um, Doki got involved, and he kind of went after Doki, and. Um, Man, what happened here? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, um... I think, yeah, Doki, Tai Chi... After Ishii eliminated Archer, um, Tai Chi went on the attack, and then Doki kind of came up on the apron, and I think that's what... And then he, that created the opening for Tai Chi to eliminate Ishii. Yeah. So then it came down to Yoshihashi as the lone survivor taking on Tai Chi and Saber, and Tai Chi and Saber are basically laughing to themselves because, you know, Yoshihashi is such a geek. <laughs> um... And Tai Chi attacks with kicks, and uh, Hashi hits him with a Hurricane Rana. He slams Saber, uh, but then Doki uh, goes to the ref and um, gra- makes Red Shoes' back be turned to him. Uh, Yoshihashi dumps Tai Chi out of the ring, but the ref doesn't see it, and Tai Chi gets back in the ring, and him and Saber attack, and they're running wild all over um, Yoshihashi. Tai Chi tries to cover him for two. Pants come off, um, and he tries to go for... Uh, Tai Chi tries to go for a super kick and is countered into the butterfly lock. That horrible butterfly lock. <laughs> Saber ends up making the save, but Hashi hits him with the lariat. Tai Chi grabs the ref and pipe. Uh, there's a pipe shot from Doki, and Yoshi Hashi hits a super kick, dumps Tai Chi out of the ring. So we wind up with just uh, Zack Saber Jr. and um, and Yoshi Hashi as the final two, which makes sense because they are going to have a title match at the end of this tour. Yep, on and, uh, June 25th in Sendai. And, and from this point, it seems like it's all Zack. Zack is locking him in triangles and arm bars and tying him up. And Yoshihashi keeps trying to roll for, for quick roll-up wins, very similar to how he got that roll-up win in the tag match earlier uh, during Dominion. Uh, but he can't seem to figure out Zack Sabre uh, until they start striking. And um, eventually, Yoshihashi basically... Uh, Ends up getting um, Zack Saber transitioned out of the ring over the top rope, and he's trying to fight and eliminate Saber. Saber grabs a hold of his neck and is choking him, and it looks like he's going to choke him unconscious and pull him over the rope. Instead, Yoshihashi counters the chokehold, grabs his arm, brings it down, turns around, hits Zack Saber. Zack Saber goes flying out of the ring, and your winner and the uh, sole survivor for the Chaos team, Yoshi. Hashi. Yeah, Yoshihashi gets to uh, cut the post-match promo. Yep. Sabre was enraged, went in the ring, wanted to smoke Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi hit him with a big lariat, laid Sabre out. Then um, Doki and Taishi wanted to smoke with Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi laid both of them out, grabbed the British uh, heavyweight title, stood over Sabre, and was saying you know, he's going to beat Sabre and get into G1. Yep. So, yeah, really, really strong uh, showing here from Yoshihashi, and that's going to do it for night two. Uh, question here from our friend of the show, Kevin Crawford. He says, why is Yoshihashi getting this title feud with Zack Sabre Jr.? Does Gato really think he's a draw, or is it just filler Kazuna Road match for ZSJ leading into the D1? Uh, to be honest with you, I think uh, we'll, we'll cover it here in a moment, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Yoshihashi is not included in the G1 Climax lineup. Um, he is a guy, though, that they've been pretty um, loyal to over the years and have given a lot of opportunities to. 
And so we kind of saw this similar pattern last year when Taichi was left out. He got uh, inserted into the never title picture, got never title um, you know, opportunities almost immediately following the G1. So I think maybe that's uh, a, a short explanation for why. And um, I don't know exactly how popular Yoshihashi is over there, but he does seem to have some measure of popularity when it comes to, you know, the the, new, the Japanese fan base. Yeah. All right. So now it's time to talk about G1 Climax 29. Uh, we're going to kind of go over the competitors, the dates, the blocks, um, some of the matches. Next week, we are going to do a full um, preview and prediction of the a tournament similar to like we did for best of super juniors where we'll um, go over each guy kind of talk about their tournament history talk about their chances of winning we'll talk about um you know our most anticipated matches we'll rate each guy as far as excitement level so we'll do all that next week but we will right now talk about who's in the tournament the blocks and we have tons of questions from you guys on all these announcements so we'll answer that and talk about all the other G1 news um, that's come out in the past week. Um, so, on like we mentioned night one, the blocks were announced. Um, so, in the A block, we have the IWGP heavyweight champion, Kazuchika Okada. We have the RevPro British heavyweight champion, Zack Sabre Jr. We have the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. We have Kota Ibushi. The IWGP. Oh, no, he just lost that belt. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. We have uh, Evil, Sonata. We have the Rogue General, Bad Luck Fale, the American Psycho, Lance Archer, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, the Aerial Assassin, Will Ospreay, and then we have the Master of the Go to Sleep, Kenta. And in the B block, we have the current reigning IWGP Intercontinental Champion, Tetsuya Naito. Uh, we have the current reigning Never Openweight Heavyweight, or the Never Openweight Champion, Tomohiro Ishii, Juice Robinson, Toro Yano, Hiroki Goto, Jay White, Jeff Cobb, Shingo Takagi, Taichi, and uh, the first-time entrant, John Moxley. So that's a very sexy lineup right there. Bro, an incredible, incredible lineup. And like uh, we mentioned, obviously no Minoru Suzuki, no Togi Makabe, no Satoshi Kojima, no Yoshihashi. So I actually went ahead and um, did a quick write-up myself and kind of listed the eligible heavyweights that may have potentially been in this tournament who are not included. So uh, going through them very quickly, we were not getting Brody King as many people speculated. We might be seeing no Chase Owens, obviously no Chris Jericho, no Colt Cabana, no Dave Finley, Hikaleo's out, Hiroyoshi Tenzan's out, Nakanishi, who I believe is on the shelf, he's not in it, Mikey Nichols. Minoru Suzuki, uh, Kojima, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, Hanare, Yoshihashi, Yuji Nagata, Yujiro, and Togi Makabe are all members of the heavyweight roster. Who are all sideline, sideline. <laughs> <laughs> but many of those, um, some of the the more notable uh, exclusions, like you mentioned, Brody King, someone who was just on the most recent tour. People thought maybe there was a chance for him to kind of elevate his stature and and gain entry. He's not in it. Um, Obviously, Tamatanga, we kind of learned earlier in the year that he probably wouldn't be in it, but he's been in almost all the tournaments over the past three or four years. He's not in it. Yoshihashi, again, another uh, tournament staple. He's out. Togi Makabe, who's been in it for years and years and years, not in it. Uh, Satoshi Kojima, many people thought maybe this could be his final tournament. He's not in it. 
And I think the biggest exclusion, Minoru Suzuki, not in the tournament. Yeah, I know we have a bunch of questions about that. And obviously Suzuki is enraged, as many Suzuki-Goon fans are with Suzuki being out. Yeah. Um, and then on night two, we had the announcements of, of all the matches. Uh, so I'll run through that list real quick. So the opening night in G1 in Dallas, which Youngboy and I will be at. And we purchased our tickets today. Our plane tickets. Our plane tickets. Yeah. So it's official. Like, we will be there. We got lodging. We've got fare. We got our tickets. Got a couple other things we're working on. We'll let you guys know. But, yeah, we're going to be there, man. Yeah, so on that night, we will have uh, the rematch for the New Japan Cup with Will Ospreay taking on Lance Archer. We will have Evil versus Bad Luck Fale. We will have Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr. Ooh. kind of renewing their rivalry as well. Yeah, they had that, that World of Sports style match that I loved last year. We have Kota Obushi versus Kenta in the semi-main event of the evening. I think the last time they faced was Noah in like 2007. Dude, this, is, this match is going to be great. That's going to be incredible. And then for the first time in the United States... We have the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, taking on the ace of the universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi, in the main event of Night One in Dallas. That's big. That's really, really, really big. Uh, how are you feeling about seeing Okada and Tanahashi? From a fan perspective, the idea that I'm going to be at a show that features, quite frankly, the greatest rivalry in the history of modern New Japan Pro Wrestling, I am ex I'm, I'm so excited. Like, I don't even have words for it, to be honest with you. Um, although, am I off base in thinking that this is the wrong call? You know, I've seen a few people kind of say that, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, why they put John Moxley in the main event, um, kind of going off the buzz that he has. I do have to wonder, though, with that being the case, could the fact that it's on U.S. soil and him being a main staple in AEW have played a role in them not being able to do that? Or maybe, like, he wouldn't do that, that sort of thing? Is that a possibility? I could definitely see that. Being I, I definitely think that could be a, a, um, a possibility and a role to play in him ending up being the B-block. See, part of me feels like a, a crappy fan where I'm like, you know, we've complained for so long like, New Japan, give us a real New Japan card. Give us a real, you know? And now they're finally doing it. But there's this part of me that's like with the way the ticket sales have been and how many seats they have to fill, I wonder if this is the right place to have ordered this match to to be there. If you want my honest opinion, I think Okada Tanahashi should have headlined the very first ever New Japan show went, went all the way back at Long Beach when they did Cody and Okada. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they saw something in Cody, and they, you know, were right because look at the kind of star he is now. <laughs> but with that being the case, I always thought back then I was like, it's a five thousand seat arena. It's a match that they've done a million times in Japan, but never in the U.S. They should have done it then. That was my opinion. Now I'm not going to complain and say we shouldn't be getting it because I'm glad we're getting it. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if this is the card where they should have done it. That's my one hangup because. You know, it, it's so weird because we always complain. We're like, they don't get the fan base. They don't get the market. They're trying to push all these U.S. stars when we want to see the Japanese stars. But then, now, 
today they have literally the hottest free agent in the entire world in John Moxley, someone who I literally think I think the difference here is I'm like he would move tickets. Yeah. He would really move tickets. So I do question this a little bit and I wonder if it's double edged because on the one hand we are getting as authentic a New Japan card and as authentic a New Japan show in the US as you could possibly ask for and it's incredible. But with the stuff that's happened with AEW and WWE and, and the market, I wonder if this is going to draw or not. I really don't know how excited how, – how people online have been seeming for – is there buzz? What do you think? You know, I have seen kind of some people saying, you know, they kind of wanted, you know, maybe like Osprey and Okada or Osprey and Ibushi or Moxley in the main event. I have seen some of that. Um, there are other people who are kind of uh, um, excited – um, about seeing Tanahashi and Okada, um, you know, this epic rivalry live. So I'm kind of seeing kind of mixed things online. I'm kind of in the camp of I'm, I'm very excited um, from a fan seeing Okada and Tanahashi, um, seeing this epic rivalry happen here. I mean, I know Tanahashi might not be in the best shape, but when has there ever been a bad Okada-Tanahashi uh, matchup? Uh, oh, so- man, this... this- for this crowd, on this show, on this night, it's probably going to be... I, I would set the over-under at four and three quarters. Yeah. That's the over-under. And I know what over-under is, ladies and gentlemen. I've learned. <laughs> but um, here's the one thing. with me Now, with me saying like the one caveat was like, I wonder if this is the right match to do. If you weren't going to do John Moxley in the main event, and you weren't going to do, like say, Will Ospreay in the main event in a big match... This is the match I would do. We've, for all the same reasons we've said for so many years, we've always been like, this is a match that they've done so many times in Japan, and it has, you know, it, it it's uh, a case of, um, what's it called? Like like when the returns get less. Diminishing returns. D- diminishing returns. But in America, there's no diminished returns. This is something that any true New Japan fan has wanted to see for years, and anyone who wants to know what New Japan is all about, and they're unsure... How can you say no to a, a card that's headlined by a match that has many, many, multiple five-star matches under their belt? In fact, last year alone, it was the feud of the year in New Japan. They had three of the greatest matches of the year back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So, yeah, there's not much to really complain about. Like, yeah. Tanahashi Okada is going to be incredible. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about how the, the Dallas matches are looking. All I know is that... It's the first night of the G1. We can't go to a draw. Like, they cannot do a 30-minute draw. Someone's got to go over. And I'm like, is Tanahashi going to beat the IWGP champion? Like, Doesn't, uh, doesn't Okada owe uh, Tanahashi? Okada does owe Tanahashi. Like, that, there's a lot of storyline here. Yeah. So, this is going to be a good one. Yeah. So, then the rest of the schedule on July 13th, we got B Block uh, in Tokyo with John Moxley taking on Taichi in the main event. In the semi-main, Jay White versus Hiroki Goto. Then it's Tomohiro Ishii versus Jeb Cobb. Tetsuya Naito versus Toriyano. Shingo Takagi versus Juice Robinson. And July 14th, we have Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kenta in the main event. Bad Luck Fale versus Lance Archer in the semi-main. Then we got Kota Ibushi versus Evil. Kazuchika Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr. And Will Ospreay versus Sonata. On July 15th in Sapporo, we have Tetsuya Naito versus Taichi in the main event. In the semi-main, we have John Moxley versus Jeff Cobb. Then we have Jeff Wa- Jay White versus Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto versus Juice Robinson, and Shingo Takagi versus Toru Yano. On July 18th, in Corkin Hall, we have Kota Ibushi versus Will Ospreay in the main event. In the semi-main, we have the clash of L.I.J. Evil. 
versus Sonata. Then we have Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Zack Sabre Jr., Kazuchika Okada versus Bad Luck Fale, Kenta versus Lance Archer. On July 19th, also in Corkin, we have John Moxley versus Tomohiro Ishii in the main event, Shingo Takagi versus Taichi in the semi-main, then Naito versus Goto, White versus Yano, and Juice versus Cobb. On July 20th, we have Okada versus Osprey in the main event, Kenta versus Evil, Kota Ibushi versus Sanada, Hiroshi Tanahashi vs. Lance Archer, ZSJ vs. Bad Luck Fale. On the 24th, we have Naito vs. Ishii, Moxley vs. Takagi, White vs. Cobb, Goto vs. Taichi, and Robinson vs. Yano. On the 27th, Okada vs. Kenta, Tanahashi vs. Sonata, ZSJ vs. Evil, Osprey vs. Fale, and Ibushi vs. Archer. On the 28th, we have Naito vs. Moxley, Goto vs. Yano, White vs. Takagi, Cobb vs. Taichi, and Ishii vs. Juice. On the 30th, we have Kenta vs. Sonata in the main event, Osprey vs. ZSJ, Tanahashi vs. Evil, Okada vs. Archer, Ibushi vs. Bad Luck Fale. Then we have A Block, or excuse me, B Block action on August 1st in Fukuoka with White vs. Taichi, Moxley vs. Yano, Ishii vs. Goto, and Naito vs. Robinson, and Takagi vs. Cobb. August 3rd, A Block in Osaka, Okada vs. Sonata, Tanahashi vs. Ibushi, Osprey vs. Evil, ZSJ vs. Archer, and Kenta vs. Bad Luck Fale. On August 4th in Osaka, Naito vs. Takagi, Moxley vs. White, Goto vs. Cobb, Robinson vs. Taichi, Ishii vs. Yano. August 7th, Okada vs. Evil, Osprey vs. Kenta, Abushi vs. ZSJ, Tana vs. Bad Luck Fale, Sonata vs. Archer. On August 8th, we have Ishii vs. Takagi in the main event, Yano vs. Taichi, White vs. Juice, Moxley vs. Goto, Naito vs. Cobb. And then we have our A-Block final night in Budokan Hall. In the main event, Okada vs. Ibushi, semi-main, Tanahashi vs. Osprey. Then we have Sonata vs. Bad Luck Fale, Evil vs. Archer, and Kenta vs. ZSJ. In the B-Block final night, we have Naito vs. White in the main event, Moxley vs. Juice in the semi-main, Cobb vs. Yano, Goto vs. Shingo, and Ishii vs. Taichi. And then, of course, August 12th, is the G1 Finals in Budokan as well with the A Block winner facing off the B Block winner. Yeah, absolutely. That's a mouthful. I'm glad you ran down that entire <laughs> thing. <laughs> but, like, just looking at the lineups, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, there's so Dude, many incredible. So, so many matches. So a couple of things of note. On night one, uh, for U.S. Uh, fans only, uh, if you planned on watching this on uh, New Japan World, you will not be able to watch this live. It will be exclusive live in the U.S. on Access Television. Now, for all people outside of the United States, you'll be able to watch it live on New Japan World, and it will be uh, on uh, available on tape delay night one for uh, people in the U.S. After that, the rest of the tournament will be available live to U.S. residents um, on New Japan World. So that's one really interesting thing when it comes to uh, the first night of the uh, G1 Climax. Yeah, so we have a bunch of questions here. Tons. About the G1. So Reddit user ablue 3 he says, what are your most anticipated matches from the G1? Oh, man. Uh, honestly, just looking at the blocks, like there literally are so many anticipated matches. I got to tell you, in the B block, but well, one thing, these blocks are way more balanced than they were last year. Like, it doesn't look like the A block is like, you know, the crappier block. It looks very, very even. I've actually seen some people say that the A block looks better than the B block. 
I don't know that I'm in that camp, although I see that they have a lot of champions, so I can see why people say that. But yeah. looking at the B block, you have the the hosses of Ishii, Goto, Jeff Cobb, and Shingo Takagi, and you're going to get like a round robin between all four of those guys, and every single one of those matches is going to be fire in my book. So I'm very excited for those matches. Yeah, um, so for me, my most anticipated from the B block, probably may, maybe might be overall, is Ishii versus Shingo. We, I, I've been, and that's a main event. Yeah, I've been clamoring for that match ever since I've seen them in multi-man action, and we're finally going to get it. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, Shingo-Ishii matchup. I think John Moxley against almost anybody in the B block is going to be extremely interesting. Uh, out of everybody... Who are you most excited to see John Moxley face in the B block? Um, I gotta tell you, I think for me, I know a lot of people are gonna say Ishii, but I actually think for me, the most interesting and exciting match will be him and Tetsuya Naito. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, I think that's gonna be. A I think very... that's real interesting to see how that plays out and to see what what goes on between those two guys. Yeah, and then from the A block, I'm really looking forward to Okada versus Kenta. Okada vs. Kenta has big money written all over it. I could, I'll could, i tell you right now, if I, I haven't even started my bracket, but I think Kenta is one of the guys I think gets a win over Okada, sets up a title shot. Yeah. That's my prediction. Yeah, King of Pro Wrestling, Kenta vs. Okada. Um, obviously, I mean, <laughs> so many guys in this block. Evil and Sonata is going to have a lot of story behind it, and I don't think we've ever seen them go head-to-head. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, Okada, the fact that we've got... Rainmaker Okada in this tournament like you know I think a lot of people I don't think anyone's discounting Okada but Okada hasn't had the type of year performance wise that we've become accustomed to in years previous and last year we kind of had the uh, you know going into the half year I mean he had a, a fantastic year but then once once he went into the G1 not to discredit his G1 but everything was round four stars there was very, there was almost no real standouts until he faced Tanahashi but now we're getting Rainmaker Okada. So we're getting big match Okada. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like people are sleeping on that. And to see him and ZSJ, him and Tanahashi, him and Ibushi, him and Kenta, him and Osprey, I think those are all going to be incredible matches. Um, anything else from the A block that you're like really – I mean obviously the fact that Osprey's there. Yeah, I mean Osprey-Ibushi rematch is going to be excellent. Osprey and Tanahashi, <sighs> that's going to be very interesting. Zack Sabre and Will Osprey have a lot of experience wrestling one another. We've never seen it in New Japan. Uh, my favorite match of theirs is from WrestleMania weekend in 2015. Um, near five-star match, and you, you would think it would be a weird matchup, but it's not. And given how much these guys have grown as performers, i got to imagine it's probably even better now. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. Um, even Zack Sabre just running through through the tournament. He's got a lot of guys we've seen him face before. But he, some new I think Zack Sabre and Kenta is going to be real interesting. And as Rich Latta likes to say, I want to see him put uh, – Kenta put his foot <laughs> through Zack Sabre's bird chest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. One thing I did notice with um, some of the placements in this block – um, Will Ospreay was kind of placed in a block with guys he's kind of faced already before. As heavyweights? Uh, yeah, yeah. So they're definitely kind of trying to save some heavyweight matches there um, with Ospreay. So some interesting things here. Okada, running down the participants, Okada has got six main events on this tour. Naito has five. Then following that, Kenta, Ishii, Taichi, and John Moxley all have three. 
But the rest of the competitors, Tanahashi, Ibushi, Sonata, Osprey, White, Shingo only have two. Evil only has one. And Zack Sabre, Fale, Archer, Juice, Yano, Goto, and Cobb have zero main events. Mm, Real, interesting. And that, that comes from uh, work done by the Super J cast on Twitter. So shout out to those guys. And then um, on the final nights, real, real interesting are like the the uh, the A block and the B block finals. Like the the rundown that we have there are real interesting. So Budokan Night One, the uh, main event and semi main event are Osprey and Tanahashi and Okada and Ibushi. And then in the B block, we've got Moxley versus Juice and Naito versus White. Also, I think in the A block as well in the final night, we've got. For the opener, or at least it's slotted that way, Kenta and Zack Sabre. So it's like, man, usually, in most cases, you can um, kind of use some of the booking patterns that you've seen in the past from Gato and kind of easily predict what the finals are going to be. But in this case, he's putting some of the favorites of the tournament in both the main event and semi-main event to kind of throw you off the trail a bit. And it actually makes predicting this tournament quite a bit harder than it has been in the past. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a big talking point there and something I think that's worth really thinking about when people are filling out their brackets and making their predictions for this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question from Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? Which block do you guys think will be better, A or B? Personally, I think B because Yano. <laughs> you know what's funny is I've seen people that have uh, asked, should Yano even be in this, that sort of thing, and I'm like, of course he should be in it. Yano's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm down with Yano. As James Boy would say, we are Yano truthers. I'm all about Yano in the G1, uh, you know, especially when he's uh, shooter Yano and he's out there bellying the bellying and firemaning people. Dude, I, I loved shooter Yano last year. Yeah. Um, taking a look at the blocks, I mean, A block seems to have the better name value, mm. I would say. Yeah. But I've got this, well, there are there are some matches I'm really, really excited for in B block. And I also think that the stage is really set for Naito to just like have a killer tournament in a way that maybe he did he had a great tournament last year but like have a killer tournament yeah since he's one of the biggest names in the entire block plus the stuff with John Moxley's real interesting i'm really torn on this but then looking at the a block you do have bad luck folly there you do have lance archer there those are kind of the guys that people consider maybe not having as great of matches also evil doesn't even though he can deliver, he doesn't always deliver. Right. So those are some kind of detractions. What do you see on the B block that might be like detractions? Uh, you got Tai Chi. You never know which Tai Chi you're going to get. Are we going to get, you know, the Tai Chi that faces Ishii? Or are we going to get, you know, Tai Chi that's powdering for 10 minutes and doing all kind of gimmicks? You also uh, got Toriano. Yep, Toriano. Which you know what you get when you get Toriano. Right. Uh, Jay White, I mean, last year. Big question mark. Big question mark. We saw the all shenanigans last year. Is he coming to play this year to have a good G1? Or are we going to have more, you know, Bullet Club shenanigans? Um, He's got a lot of faces to play off of this year, too. That's an interesting thing. Um, I'm going to go with my gut and just say the A block will be better. Um, But I'm real torn on that because I want to say B block. But when you've got Okada, Tanahashi, Saber, Ibushi... Kanta, Osprey. It's kind of hard to argue with that level of talent. Yeah. But if B Block 
you know, surprises us night in and night out and has these crazy violent matches that it looks like it possibly... I mean, look at how... I think B-Block could be way more violent. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely the strong style block between Naito, Ibushi, Juice, Goto, Cobb, Shingo... John Moxley. And Moxley and Taichi, if he turns up. Yeah. You, you got the you know, the Carl Gotch block here. That's the Carl Gotch block, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. Know. So I'm very excited for both of these blocks. Yeah, like, but I'm going to agree with you and go with A block. Uh, next up, from Reddit user uh, Eater of Bread, he says, For notable G1 omissions like Suzuki, Makabe, Yoshihashi, and Kojima, to what extent do you think the decision is made by the wrestlers themselves as opposed to Gato or the company management? I would say we don't know. We really don't know. I mean, could I see it to where... Now, I got to tell you, I think Yoshihashi probably wants to be in it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how some of the older guys like Suzuki, Makabe, or Kojima feel about this. Now, I thought Kojima two years ago, his last tournament, I thought he had an incredible tournament. Yeah. Uh, but it's been a long time since Suzuki or Makabe had good tournaments. Um, both of those guys, you what you kind of get, and we we lamented the A block, and I hate to kind of crap on Suzuki and Makabe, but they both had really good matches, a couple really good matches, and then a lot of so-so matches throughout the tournament. And I've never really felt like the G1 in Ma- in the last like four or five years were tournaments where Suzuki and Makabe like really were out there making a name for themselves or grabbing the you know the brass ring as they say. Um, you kind of know what you're getting with Suzuki and Makabe when it comes to this sort of tournament. And um, maybe those guys, it could have been where where management was like, you know, if you're over a certain age or you're at a certain role in the company, we're, we're just going to go with these younger guys and open up new opportunities. Or it could have been that Suzuki, Makabe, and Kojima guys like that were like, you know what? We're good. Right. Hey, Suzuki, today's his birthday. Happy birthday, Suzuki. Happy birthday, Minoru Suzuki. Turns 51. You know, maybe he just want to do nine singles matches. Remember when he told us to buy Ray-Bans and we did? <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. We don't want the smoke. Uh, but, I went out and bought those Ray-Bans. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, maybe he, he, he doesn't want to do nine singles matches. He doesn't want to go through the G1 climax. One thing, though, that's notable when it comes to – now, from, like, a story perspective, why could it possibly be that Suzuki's not in here? Because I would say of all the people that were omitted, he was the biggest omission by yeah. far. But we were, me and Jeremy, were doing some research over the weekend, trying to get things in perspective because we're at the halfway point of the year. And you know what? Minoru Suzuki's had three singles matches all yeah, year long. Yeah, if you look at his schedule, he really hasn't done anything big this year. He had two matches with Sonata, um, one during New Beginning, uh, during their tag feud. The other one was during the New Japan Cup. And then he had one other singles match. And I'm trying to remember who it was even against. And I don't remember. Yeah, I'm blanking right now, too. Uh, but yeah, he's mainly been in tag stuff and exclusively, uh, and almost then, all year. And then also the Liger rivalry has pretty much been all multi man and tag stuff. Yeah, and you know they could they could potentially do Liger versus Suzuki at the G one finals. Well, we do know that during the Liger Suzuki feud, there was one point where Liger was saying, "I'm retiring at the end of the year. You face me." They didn't say it was at going to be at Tokyo Dome, but you face me and you put your. Uh, career on the line and if you lose you have to retire as well Mm -hmm. so what if his exclusion from the g1 is something to where like new japan is phasing you down you're on the tail end of your career and then they do the career versus career match or whatever however you want to say it and it becomes feasible in the mind of the the uh viewer that 
hey, they're phasing out Suzuki. He Th- could lose. He could lose. This yeah. could be the end of his career, and they make it believable, and that's what this is really leading to. I also think it's notable that he is so um, vocal on um, promos about his exclusion, and it does seem to play into the uh, greater story for Suzuki. Yeah. So maybe it's just good storytelling. Yeah. Could be. Storytelling. Storytelling. <laughs> Uh, question from Muzzle. He says, how many young lions will Suzuki murder with him not being in the G1? Well, we've got four, so I would say four. Yes. <laughs> well, he'll, he'll go to America and kill um, the, the LA ones, too. Yeah, we got three, we got three in uh, America, so seven. <laughs> how many we got from Fale's Dojo? Like two or three? They die in two. <laughs> so like nine and ten? So the over-under is nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Question from Rambone Slam Pig. He says, "Are you surprised by the inclusions and exclusions in this year's G1 lineup? Do you think the decision not to expand the field as they did with the New Japan Cup and Best of Super Junior tournaments was the right call?" Okay. Before we answer that, let me ask you, Jeremy. If we had expanded to 24, who are the three guys you would have included? Uh, Suzuki, Kojima. Um. And I would have thrown um, Brody King in there. Yeah, Brody King. So we got one other spot. Who would you have given that last spot to? I said Kojima. No, so you said Kojima, Suzuki, Suzuki, and Brody, Brody King. We got one more. Oh, spot. one more. Uh, who else was left off that yeah, list? Yeah, I'll show you the list of who could have yeah, potentially yeah. been in here. Uh, I would have gone Chase Owens. Ooh, that's a that's an interesting pick. Uh, but Chase Owens over Yoshihashi. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. I know for me, I'm, I'm sure if it was the New Japan manager, it would, would probably go Yoshihashi over Chase Owens. But I would go Chase over Yoshi. Yeah. And uh, Chase over Tamatanga? Yeah. I, I like your pick. I'm going to stick with that. So in that scenario, you know, but it, at the same time, I would say Suzuki and Kojima are two guys that like – I would have only wanted Kojima to really be in it so he could get a send-off. Right. I'm fine with him not being in it, uh, except for I wanted there to be a send-off. Uh, Brody King hasn't really been here long enough to prove himself. Maybe that will be in the in the you know cards for him later on, but you would imagine if he wasn't, he'd be a pin-eater. Same thing with Chase. So really, it really just comes down to Suzuki being a big exclusion. I don't think they really necessarily needed to expand to 24, even though we discussed the possibility of it. I'm fine with it being 20, especially yeah. for my sanity. Yeah, I think it was the right call not to expand the field. I like the fact of it feeling like it's an exclusive tournament. It's the top of the top. You really have to be on your game and be the best in the world to be in this tournament. We're not going to just let anybody in here. So I like the fact that it's um, still 20, didn't expand it. It makes it feel like more tougher to get into. Uh yeah. My whole thing was, if you expand, you have to expand the blocks. Right. If you're not going to expand, we're fine. And I'm fine with the way it is. I've loved this G1 format for quite a while. I think that this is one of the most fresh and exciting looking lineups we've had in a while. It is funny, you know, we have talked on this podcast about that promo that Tamatanga had a few years ago talking about, man, it's just boring. <laughs> we see the same guys every year. All from New Japan. We don't have any new competitors. Man, it's all in just, you know, he's like, it's all just here in Japan. Why don't y'all go overseas and right. try to do a G1 somewhere else? Let's do something big. The funny thing is they're doing all that. They're including juniors. They're including outside talent. They're going over to the U.S. It's just Tama's not in it. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's kind of funny that like uh, New Japan was listening to to that promo and they're making good on some of it, but uh, you know he's not really included. But I do like this decision. Um, now, as far as like inclusions and exclusions, is there anyone you were like shocked at their inclusion? I guess. I would just say Kenta because before we knew he was even going to be in the company, I would have never guessed that. Right. I mean, based off Dominion announcements, I wasn't surprised about anybody's inclusions. Obviously, like you mentioned, like ahead of time, had that had there not been a promo and just it was just Kenta out of nowhere, then I would have been surprised. But um, you know, based on how they build up Osprey and Chingo, um, you know, all the work that Archer has been doing to promote this show in Dallas. Right. Um, yeah, I was surprised by nobody that they've announced. Um, as far as exclusions, I was very surprised that Minoru Suzuki got, didn't make the list. I was very surprised at Makabe because every year we were always like, well, Makabe may or may not be in it, but it always seems like it's very likely he's going to be it because of his popularity as a, as a TV personality. And his history in New Japan, you're always like, he's gonna be in it. And we're always like, Yoshihashi's gonna be in it. I think that's the main reason why people thought it was gonna be 24. We're like, Suzuki's gonna be in. Yoshihashi's gonna be in. Makabe. is gonna be in. You gotta have a fourth guy. It's gonna be a 24 block. I think that's why people are coming to those conclusions. All three of those guys' exclusions are like, whoa, they're really leaning this thing out and opening up new opportunities. Uh, it's exciting, but it's it's surprising. Yeah. Uh, next question from Reddit user Jar of Peanuts. He said, "Who are your dark horse picks to go to the finals of the G1?" I don't have any dark horse picks to go to the finals of the G1. Uh, I'm not going to reveal my brackets yet, but anyone that I think is going to the finals are probably people that y'all think are going to the finals. I don't yeah. have a dark horse. All right? I don't really have a dark horse either. But you know, next week we're going to do you know more in depth preview and predictions. Um, so maybe we could, by then maybe we'll think of something. But yeah, as of right now, I don't have a dark horse pick. Uh, another question from Muzza. He said, "What stable ma- matches are you, what stable matches are you looking forward to? I.e., Chaos versus Chaos, L.I.J. versus L.I.J." Uh, he says his personal favorite will be Shingo versus Naito. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth, Murray. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> Shingo versus Naito, in my mind, is one of the most exciting uh, interfactional few or matches that's going to happen on this entire tournament. Yeah, I think that that takes the cake for me as well. It has to be uh, Shingo versus Naito. I think the other one that a lot of people will be excited for is uh, Osprey and Okada. We've seen them have so many great matches together in the past, but never like the big blow off. And it does seem like. It's going to be a big deal this year in this G1, and I think that that has potential match of the year written all over it. Uh, next question comes from our pal here at Social Suplex, host of all things Elite, Floyd Johnson Jr. What up, Floyd? He said, what are your sleeper matchups for the G1? Ooh, sleeper matchup. Uh, you want to pick a sleeper match from each block? Yeah, hold on, let me get back the, uh, the match listings back here. Let's see. I'm just looking at the A block and B block to make it easy on myself. Mm. That, that, that might be better for you. Yeah. Let's see. From the A block, let's see here. I think the sleeper match from the A block, I'm going to say Okada and Lance Archer. Ooh, that's a, that's a sleeper pick. Okada does have a, like... Every ability to make everyone he works with seem better, like, well, not just seem better, but be better than they actually are. 
and he's great with big guys. Right, but I mean, we saw what Archer did with Osprey and how great that match was. Right, I, I think Okada and Os- and Os- Okada and Archer can have a really great match. Okay, we've seen this match before, so maybe it's not so much of a sleeper. But I don't think a lot of people are hyped for it. But I'm telling you right now, I really think that Sonata and Zack Saber Jr. is going to be an incredible match. It was last mm-hmm. year. It didn't get nearly enough play. And those two guys are two of the more understated competitors in this tournament. I think they're going to have a great match. Yeah. Now, I'm looking at B Block here. I'm trying to figure out what would be the sleeper. Because I feel like a lot of the the matchups in B Block are going to be bangers. Um, There's a lot of matches that will be bangers. Like, yeah, absolutely. Anything involving maybe Juice or Jay White? um, Or Taichi? Maybe... Tai Chi versus Shingo? Ooh. That that's that has every potential to be great on it. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe uh Jay White versus John Moxley? Possibly. That that definitely but I think people will be hyped for that to be honest with you. Yeah. Um I'm gonna say Taiichi versus I don't wanna say Jeff Cobb, but maybe Screw it. I'm just going to do it. Toriano versus Taichi is going to be great. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. That match, Toriano is going to have some sort of crazy comedy match. Him and Taichi is going to be nuts. Oh, so my that's gosh. my sleeper match of the B block. Uh, next question from uh, Kevin Crawford. He says, do you think Taichi will use Iska's iron glove to pick up victories in the B block? I hope not. <laughs> You know, it, it might be a scary possibility. He's, He's been carrying the bag for a long time. Yeah, I've been teasing it, you know, just, you know, opening the jacket, showing it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the B block, I mean, the G1 Climax would be the place to kind of unveil it to get some wins, a very big tournament. So, I, I could see him getting maybe one or two victories using the Iron uh, Claw. And our final question from Joel. Where's Joel from? Uh, he's um, in New York area. Okay, gotcha. Joel, yeah. Uh, yeah, we met Joel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joel's our boy. Uh, now that the card is out for G1 Day 1 in uh, Dallas, how do you see the ticket sales going over the next few weeks? Well, I got to tell you, I kind of thought that once Dominion happened and once these new announcements came out and once John Moxley joined the company that maybe we would see uh, a jump in ticket sales. It doesn't seem like there's been much movement. We haven't heard any reports. We haven't seen anything. And I have been frequenting the Ticketmaster site, and I'll tell you what, no new sections have opened up. There still seems to be a lot of blue, mm-hmm. although there are some grayed out areas. Um, but maybe now that the actual card has been announced and we're a few weeks out, we got, what, three, four weeks? Three weeks? Yeah. I hope they start moving. I yeah. hope they do. But I don't know. What do you... I mean, I would hope so. I mean, they're, this, these, this, the Dallas card, I think it's, you know, pretty stacked. And that Okada Tanahashi, I think that's like every, you know, American fans like one of their dreams of like seeing that match live. But I also think that again, New Japan is a niche product with a niche fan base. We've talked about it before. Dallas is not really a destination that a lot of people travel to. This is right. going to be a large, you know, uh, traveling group that's going there. With all the stuff going on with AEW and other shows, you know, throughout the year, you know, like the Mass Square Garden show, WrestleMania weekend. PWGs, stuff like that. How many people are going to actually, you know, put their money down? I got to tell you, I'm sure there's been plenty of people who've been waiting for the card. Now that they're seeing the card, they'll probably be enticed to see it and 
and to go. But I also still feel like, you know, New Japan is fighting with a very similar fan base to AEW. Having John Moxley on the card, I think, would have really, really helped uh, ticket sales. Now, he'll be on the undercard in a tag match, but he's not being, like, showcased. So I don't know how many people are really going to be enticed, like, how, like, how... How like if we're gonna see the numbers really jump exponentially or anything like that? Right. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how tickets end up moving in the next couple of weeks here. So we got some news related to the G one. Um, uh, the the United the G the G one U S mini site is now open online. So if you want to check out the ongoings with uh, the G one online, you can uh, check that out. Um, in Dallas on July fifth, there will be a press conference at noon. Featuring all the New Japan guys. That's the day before, uh, you know, the the first day of the G1. And on that same day, there's going to be a meet and greet. Uh, They've listed two times, 2 o'clock and 3.30. And the names that have been uh, confirmed for the meet and greet, Jushin Thunder Liger, Tomohiro Ishii, Sonata, Juice Robinson, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, Tetsuya Naito, and the final confirmed uh, meet and greet person, Kenta. Uh, there will be tickets going on sale for this very shortly. I didn't see any prices or price points, but uh, if you're going to be there, might as well go. It's probably going to be awesome. Um, there are also the international tickets uh, for the Budokans, uh shows are going on uh, sale next week. Now, here's the thing. They have very limited tickets available for international uh, travelers. Just very select um, seats are available. I don't think any of them are floor seats. And the other thing too is that only um, the first, the A block and the B block are available. The finals are not available for sale to internationals. So if you wanna be there for the finals, I think you're gonna have to go through other channels uh, than like the traditional channels to be able to attend the final night because they're not even selling those tickets, which was surprising to me. Yeah, that is surprising. Um, But aside from that, Last week we talked about Michael Craven being uh, interviewed by Fox Sports and doing a uh, an interview concerning New Japan and their expansion. And they actually asked him about, you know, with the G1 um, having their first show overseas, is there any chance that we see an expansion of the G1 overseas next year, especially considering the fact that the Olympics will be in Tokyo next year in 2020? And he's like, well, there really is definitely a precedent for it this year, isn't there? He's like, I can't re- reveal anything, but it's something we're talking about, and that's definitely a realistic possibility. So who knows? Maybe maybe next year we see it come to Australia, or maybe we see it come to the UK or back to the US. Yeah, I definitely think they'll take advantage of their partner countries um, with uh, the Olympics being in Tokyo. Um, obviously, we are going to be, uh, like we said, next week doing a full preview on the G1 Climax but before we move on, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to discuss when it comes to this? I mean, I think the tournament looks great. I'm very pumped to be in Dallas for the first night. I never thought that I would be at the first night of a G1 Climax, so I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great tournament. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and also the schedule looks like not as crazy and all over the place as it was in the past couple years either. Like it's, Yeah. It looks a little more, a little bit more manageable, to be honest with you. So yeah. I'm excited for that. My one last thought, I'll leave you with this. We're going to do a review next week, but I'll tell you what. I've had a winner in mind for a long time, and the person that I thought was going to win, the way that these blocks laid out, the way that these cards laid out, he's winning the G1. And I'm already taking my victory <laughs> lap right now. To find out Josh's predictions, tune in next time 
on keeping his strong style. On Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we had a question here from our Twitter follower at Tweeter Ain't Shit. He says, I've seen a video where the NJPW general manager said they are bringing 20 shows to the U.S. next year. I would expect a lot of smaller house show, house show type cards. What do you guys think they will bring? I haven't heard this at all. Yeah, he actually sent me the video. He tweeted the video to us where he saw it. I did not have time to actually watch the video, but I'm going to take his word for it. Dude, that's really ambitious mm -hmm. if that's what they're planning to do. But you know what? I'm all for that. Um, you know, we've talked about we talked about earlier in the show, like how important is the partnership with Ring of Honor at this point? If New Japan can expand their audience and their, their growing fan base, they'll almost become a competitor with Ring of Honor in the States. Um, and if they are going to do 20 shows, I mean, I don't, we'll see it. I'll believe it if we see it. I don't know if they're actually going to feasibly do 20 shows, but you know, the idea of them getting their own, you know, camera crew out here, their own ring crew out here, their own production crew with access or, or however they end up doing it. I think that that's a perfect move and they're making headway in other countries and, and making strong plays, but it seems like things are kind of waning in the U S considering the current market. Mm -hmm. So they, they need to do something. Yeah. And you know, they, they probably will be small. Most of them probably will be smaller shows. They'll probably do like another new beginning in USA type of tour with a few Japanese guys. And then using a lot of like the, um, LA dojo young lions. Do you think this would, uh, you think it's too early to expand that much or that it uh, takes away with some of the uh, special attraction feel that they have if they do that many shows here in the U.S.? Or do you think that they can spread it out enough over the course of the country to where they really do draw eyes and audience? Yeah, I think if they spread it out among the country, you know, give the East Coast some more uh, shows, not just stay in the West Coast, and also just spread them out throughout the year, I think that... Um, 20 shows could work out my one one of my main concerns is that <coughs> um they they still have a lot of headway to make in their own country in japan and i'm sure they're going to do that and i just hope that this expansion doesn't detract from that because i know in the past um harold my had actually talked about how one of one of their um strategies going forward might not might be to actually end up doing less shows in the u.s but expanding um visibility in the u.s through marketing and through awareness mm -hmm. to try and grow the audience over here as opposed to trying to run tours but now it seems like this is the opposite of that so i do wonder like will this detract from their business you know domestically versus coming stateside that's my one concern right the one thing i'll say and we've talked about this before in the past when they've done you know the the san francisco shows and stuff like that is that make some of these shows flow and feel like a part of the calendar year uh, to make them feel more important and not just kind of come out of nowhere and then right. announce cards last minute. Like these shows need to be fit in with the calendar year and make them feel, I think G1 Supercard is probably the best one they've done so far, making it kind of flow yeah. in the calendar year. It, it's very important if they are going to tour and they're going to do house shows, they don't have to do like, you know, Dominion level cards each time out or anything like that and kill these guys, but they need to give us authentic New Japan product. They need to be good shows that people will want to pay. 
uh, to see and make help. sure everybody has their visas. <laughs> yeah, that way that way they they can uphold a reputation of excellence, so that when people like are like, oh, New Japan is coming to town, I gotta be there. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, unless it's like, oh, they, they're headlining with Yoshihashi and Juice Robinson, like that's not gonna not fly. Chief. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, that's my one my, the one thing I'll say about that. Um, so that's gonna take us to what the news? Yep. So let's go to the news. So we've got uh, New Japan-related news. So a uh, press release uh, was released earlier this past week that Access Television is going to be moving New Japan Pro Wrestling as well as uh, Women of Wrestling to a Saturday night time slot. Uh, so they're going to be uh, splitting them off from their MMA shows, which they're still going to be doing on Friday nights, but doing a, a, a four-hour block, I believe. It's two hours for each show. Is that correct? Something like that? Uh, I think what? Maybe Women is wrestling might only be one hour. One hour, hour yeah. And but I, but New Japan is going to be a two-hour show. It's going to be at eight p.m. on Saturdays, uh, which could be beneficial. It could also be problematic, just given the fact that it's Saturday night. But I think they're making the move mostly because they want to move away from Friday nights, considering the fact that WWE will be running on Fox at that same time, basically. Right. SmackDown will be starting on Fox in the fall. Um, and then, you know, we mentioned earlier that the G1 Climax, the first night, will be live on Access, and that will be the kicking off that Saturday schedule. And then every Saturday, they will be showing matches from the G1 Climax from that week on that two-hour block. Yeah, I was looking at the schedule, and it looks pretty exciting because they, they plan to stay really current with uh, the shows that are going on over in Japan. And I think they're mostly able to do this because they're not having to go back and overdub most of it. It's all going to be the live uh, commentary that Kevin Kelly and and the rest of the crew does, which we've been advocating for years. And they've been doing that, but they're even more going to be more up-to-date than they have been in the past. Yeah, they haven't just been pulling the New Japan feed, world feed, and just putting it on access. So they don't have to do new graphics, new commentary. Just using what you see on New Japan World, putting it on access. So, uh, in other news, pretty big departure. Uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr. is gone from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, me and Jeremy have actually been speculating about this for a few weeks now. We've been like, is Davy Boy coming back? Is he gone? It seems like he might be gone. Right. You know, there was a tweet, the twit, uh, excuse me, the comment he made on Twitter um, talking about, you know, not being able to wrestle serious matches after that loss to Yano in the New Japan Cup. Um, and then Joe Lanza, when he was getting more information about Gato, some other news he got was confirmation that um, Davey Boy Smith Jr. was no longer with New Japan. And then, you know, Meltzer and other sources have reported the same thing. However, there have been conflicting stories on how he left New Japan. Um, some sources are saying that Gato fired him, and other sources are saying that he uh, personally quit the company. Yeah, of uh- Wrestling Observer actually reported on this and said part of the uh, issue was that aside from his placement on the cards and the way that he was being used, there was a conflict where he wanted to work for Impact, and there's still that lingering issue between New Japan and Impact uh, dating back from the days when uh, TNA misused Okada prior to him coming back from Excursion, and and that kind of broke their, uh, their partnership, which they had for a long time. Right. And it's never really healed the relationship, even though like Scott Demore went to Japan and like tried to apologize and tell them that the entire company is owned by different people, run by different right. people. I mean, Scott Demore wasn't even there when they misused Okada, um, but he's still feeling the backlash of that. But there was some sort of communication issue where like the way Meltzer reported it was like he, uh, David Bowie was told he couldn't go to Impact, and then later when he was talking to them, they were like, "We thought you were going to Impact," so. Uh, kind of confusing there, but the the long and short of it is Davy Boy Smith is no longer with New Japan, which is unfortunate. 
Although I got to tell you, I, I think down the road I could see the, the door being open for him to return at some point. Given the kind of talents that guy has, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. Yeah. Uh, we did get a question, though, related to this from Jar of Peanuts. Um, he said, with David Boy Smith Jr. reportedly done with New Japan, do you guys see Lance Archer winning any singles titles? You know, I think Lance Archer would be, if if anything, maybe the never title. Get him in the never division. I uh, wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Yeah, you know, have him have a strong style match. You know, I think this is a time for Lance Archer to shine. He's a guy that gets a lot of criticism, and people don't seem to be a big fan of him. But when given the spotlight, given the right opponent, Lance Archer has some great matches. I've been watching Lance for a long time now, since his days in Impact when he was teamed up with Kid Cash and all through WWE and back to New Japan. And I think he's a really talented guy. Um, and I just think a lot of times he, he does the whole, you know, Suzuki gun shtick and the whole the cheating and kind of stuff. But I think when he lets his boots up and he comes to play, he can have great matches. I always thought Davey Boy Smith Jr. was the more talented of the two performers. But I was always – I always really liked uh, KES as a unit. Uh, given the fact that they were such a big man team, I thought they were the best big man team in all of pro wrestling. Uh, there are things I didn't like, like Lance Archer spitting on fans. Yeah. But aside from that, in the ring, Lance really can go, and he definitely has a presence about him and charisma, and he's much better on the mic than Davy Boy ever was. And so I think he has the ability to get over. I do wonder if maybe he needs a new coat of paint and like an overhaul to his general character. Mm-hmm. Maybe nothing drastic, but maybe just something to kind of move him into a singles role if that makes sense yeah maybe it's a change in attire maybe or just something yeah Yeah, absolutely but uh, i wouldn't be surprised if he really kills it in this g1 where he creates new opportunities for himself to win a title yeah this g1's a big opportunity for him yeah it's do or die for him yeah um in other news so uh last week we talked about how during the dominion main event jericho song judas didn't play um this has actually been cleared up where the story basically goes from Jericho's Twitter that uh, Sony wanted what twenty five hundred dollars uh, to air to basically air Judas at, uh, for the rights, and New Japan declined to actually pay that fee, so they didn't play the music. Um, and Jericho was on his Twitter and he said he was unaware of it. And had he known, he would have actually paid the fee so that they could play the song. Mm. So that's kind of what happened there. Um, Okada, though, uh, was at a press conference last week uh, following the fallout from Dominion. And he did comment and said that uh, he wanted revenge on Jericho. Jericho had started something with him, and he intended to still finish it. So kind of playing up to the idea that there is a future match down the road uh, in the works between Okada and Jericho. Uh, when and where that happens is yet to rem- uh, remains to be seen, but we will find out uh, down the line. Um, more news on Jericho. Oh, do we have breaking oh, news? Oh, we have breaking news. John Moxley to <gasps> miss G1 opener. Why? Press conference. John Moxley has been confirmed as a participant of the G1 Climax 29. Unfortunately, Moxley will miss the G1 Climax 29 opening day taking place at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas <sighs> on July 6. Additionally, he will not be in attendance at the G1 29 Press conference taking place on July 5th, 2019. Dude, what's going on? Moxley will join the G1 Tour at July 13 in Tokyo. You know what's going on. The Elite. The the Elite. Bro, this is the first time I've ever been pissed off that you sang that song on the air. <laughs> I'm, I'm like 
really pissed off that that's happening right now. Like that's bullcrap. That's some that's some uh that's some 1980s like pro wrestling USA alliance crap. That's like oh my god. And that explains uh, why Moxley's not main eventing the Dallas card. <laughs> Okay, perfect. So I guess we'll continue on. <laughs> so uh, Tanahashi had a post. I think it was on Instagram, and uh, it, was, it was a picture he posted of himself. And Jericho's uh, personal account actually commented, and he's like, "Oh, oh, uh, Tanahashi, you're so cool. You're so sexy." He's like, "I'm gonna see you down the line, Bakahashi." <laughs> so uh, kind of also building up uh, a potential future match between those guys. Continuing on, um, this past week. The New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast featured interviews with uh, both Kenta and Rocky Romero. And I got to tell you, I'm really liking this New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, The stuff they had with Kenta was real interesting. Um, Kenta basically just talking about how he wanted to showcase his pro wrestling to the world. And one of the uh, things I thought was real interesting was when he said that they asked about him facing John Moxley. He's like, I definitely want to fight him, but not as stupid Hideo Itami, (laughs) but as Kenta. He's like, so I can kick his ass. <laughs> um, then the the interview they had with Rocky Romero, and I'm jealous because we're supposed to have Rocky on this podcast, and they beat us to the punch. Yeah, I guess it's easier when you're uh, in Japan. In, in Japan. Um, but Rocky did a great interview, and they they talked about the uh, the L A do the first L A dojo days of the early 2000s, training with Inoki, and his experiences going back to those early days. So it's almost like a history lesson. So. For those of you that are wondering about some of that uh, earlier history, I highly recommend you check out that episode. Did you you check that out, right? Yeah, it was really good. Real good stuff. Um, also, past week, um, Kota Ibushi, uh, we reported last week that he had no injuries from the match with Naito. Well, he did tweet out this past week, and it's interesting. Cause I for all the people that were talking about the dangers of that match, I haven't seen too many people talking about this, but uh, in, a, in one of his personal tweets... Um, he basically said something to the to the uh, something sim- to along the lines that he went and got checked out by a doctor and he did suffer possible vision damage uh, in in the eye that was blackened. He said that he went from a 2.0, which I'm guessing is like 2020, yeah, like a 2.0 uh, vision to a 1.5. So not blind or anything like that, but he may have suffered potential vision damage from that match. And whether that persists or improves is, you know, remains to be seen. But very interesting prices these guys pay to entertain us. Yeah, man. Uh, Bushi was working again though, so he seems to be, you know, uh, you know, healthy enough to work, and he's on the uh, the um, Kazuna Road Tour right now, which is great. Um, we also have the announcements of the full uh, Southern Showdown cards. That are coming up here in the next few weeks. Yeah, so we have um, Ren Narita, Shota Umino, and Toa Hanare taking on Michael Richards, Mark Tui, and Andrew Villalobos. We have Aaron Solo, which is Bailey's boyfriend, taking on Slex, who took on Okada last year. Yeah, and who I think is the uh, main leader of uh, the Mighty Don't Kneel, and he's one of the biggest stars in uh, Melbourne City Wrestling. Yeah, then we have uh, Rapungi 3K teaming up with Toriano to take on the Bullet Club of Gino Gambino, oh my God. Gato, and Taiji Ishimori. Stupid. We have Yoshihashi and Tomohiro Ishii taking on Chase Owens and Yujiro Takahashi. The rematch of Rocky Romero versus El Fantasmo, Nichols and Juice in a non-title match against Tamatonga Tangaloa. 
Osprey defending the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship against Robbie Eagles. And then the main event is the Mega Aces, Okada and Tanahashi taking on uh, Bullet Club's Jay White and Bad Luck Fale. And this uh, show is going to be uh, airing live on Fight TV. Um, that will be, uh, the first night will be what, June? 29th. 29th. And then it will air on a 72-hour delay on uh, New Japan World. We won't be covering it next week. We'll be covering it the week after, along as well as the final night of the Kazuna Road Tour. Um, there is a house show on June 30th, though, that will be taking place. Uh, that card uh, will not be airing, but I'll go down the card because there's some interesting tidbits about this. So uh, Michael Richards and Andrew Villalobos will be taking on uh, Stevie Phillip and Tomei Phillip. Uh, the second match of the night, Rocky Romero taking on uh, Tony Cozina. Third match of the night, Jack Bonza versus Mick Moretti. Uh, fourth match of the night, Aaron Solo taking on Chase Owens. Fifth match of the night, Juice Robinson and Toriano and Michael, Mikey Nichols taking on Bullet Club team of Tamatanga, Tangaloa, and Gino Gambino. Sixth match of the night, Tomohiro Ishii will take on Toa Hinari, which is a match I really want to see because they had a great match last year, and I'm wondering how we can get our, uh, you know, be able to view that match because it's probably going to be excellent. And then the main event will be Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazushika Okada, and Will Ospreay, the new Mega Aces, taking on the team of the Bullet Club, Bad Luck Fale, Jay White, and Robbie Eagles, uh, along with Gato. So why this is interesting, obviously there's a bunch of names that were announced that we're not very familiar with, most of them from the uh, Australian indie scene. And um, it was announced uh, earlier this week on a PWA uh, tour um, that the match between Jack Bonza uh, versus Mick Moretti, which although this is not airing, it's going to basically serve as a um, tryout match for New Japan. So um, the scouts from New Japan will actually be, be treating the, uh, a lot of these uh, matches with the talent from Australia as uh, de facto um, tryout matches for New Japan. So don't be surprised if in the next year or so you see a lot of these names show up. You know, last year, some of the names that that did really well on the tour, like Jonah Rock, he's now in mm -hmm. uh, uh, NXT, Robbie Eagles, those were like two of the, the names that were really high up on the list, and both of them got big breaks out of it. So, um, you know, this Australia tour serves more than just going down there to, to entertain the fans. It also creates opportunity for the um, for the uh, talent that's down, down under to potentially make their, their way into New Japan. So... Real interesting stuff. Yeah, and um, something interesting I noticed in the advertisement for that um, six-man tag main event on night two, they labeled, uh, they called it Chaos versus Bullet Club with uh, Tanahashi being in there. So that's kind of very interesting. Like maybe Taguchi Japan will just get swallowed up into chaos? Yeah. I don't know. That's probably just marketing. Yeah, but there was another thing where they had, like it was like Juice, for another show, it was a Juice teaming up with Chaos and it said Chaos and Juice Robinson. So... Interesting. Yeah. You think Tanahashi's joining Chaos? Maybe. Maybe. Um, and then something else, uh, you know, good friend of the show, Sir Sam. Oh, yeah. Who lives in Australia. He's going to be going, I believe, to the first night in Melbourne. Uh, but, you know, he, he did pass along some notes to us that, you know, this second night is filled with a lot of indie guys from Australia that you can see on your normal Australia indie shows. You know, pay like 10 bucks to go kind of see... Um, but the Sydney show, uh, he was telling me that they are charging, uh, their ticket prices are higher than the Melbourne show. And Melbourne's the show that we're actually going to see the better show, right? Right. And then um, then the Sydney show is full of, you know, Australia indie guys. 
I think he uh, said something along the lines of, we need to light up New Japan for this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to light up New Japan for it, but uh, that does seem to be kind of crappy. So um, I feel for you, Sir Sam. I think he's going to both those shows, right? I know, I think for sure he's going to the Melbourne. I'm not sure if he's going to be at Sydney also. Gotcha. Um, in other news, so there was a subreddit that was opened up this past week uh, called uh, Wrestle Kingdom Plans, R-Wrestle Kingdom Plans. So uh, for those of you that have gone to like uh, WrestleMania, there's a subreddit for WrestleMania plans, and it's really helpful for those people who are looking for shows to go to, trading tickets, different events, traveling plans, places to stay, how to get around. Um, and I think that this will be a really good um, resource for people that are uh, from from not domestic from Japan that are trying to find their way um, around Wrestle Kingdom and meet up with people and different things like that. So really cool idea. Whoever started that, you know, shout out to you. Uh, big, big props. And uh, that's something to definitely check out. Um, the free match of the week was the match that was that was on the final night of the Kazuna Road Tour last year. It was the uh, Super Strong Machine Invitational Retirement Match which featured a 10-man tag, five-on-five, between the super strong machines. I don't know who they were. They were all under masks. Yeah, I mean, there was, like, an ace machine and, like, uh, what's, like, a coach machine. and I think his name was Ass Machine. Yeah, yeah Ass Machine. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the machines taking Go- on. Gorilla Machine or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And they took on the uh, five-man unit of um, Los Ingranables de Japón. So check that out. If you haven't seen that match, you know, it also featured the retirement ceremony of Super Strong Machine. So, um, and finally, shout out to Conrad from ba- Brain Buster Radio, Brain Buster, uh, I don't know what they want to call it, but he started a series called uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling Dark Ages series. Uh, the first, uh, the first, I don't, it's not an episode because it's actually a column, but the first column in the series dropped. Um, really good write-up. For those of you who are not familiar with New Japan history so much or want to get more uh, insight into the dark ages of New Japan, this guy really did his homework. So I checked it out. It's really well-written. Definitely check that out. Uh, big props to Conrad. And then um, finally, in other news. So we had big news this week. Um, we're not going to discuss it too much, but um, they announced September 31st, right? August 31st. August 31st is the date for All Out, the... Uh, Basic follow-up to the all-in show from last year that me and Jeremy attended live. Um, And the tickets went on sale this past week, and they sold the tickets out in 15 minutes. Yeah, with over 100,000 inquiries for tickets. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the speculations of how many of those were bots, how many of them were, uh, you know, ticket scalpers or actual interested fans, they're kind of all over the place. But, I mean, you got to figure – People that were buying tickets could have gotten anywhere from one to four tickets. And at one point, they had over, like, what, 60,000, 70,000 people in the queue at one It was over 100,000. It ended at, like, over 100,000 people. That were in the queue waiting for tickets? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the the hype and demand for this card, I think from what Dave Meltzer was saying, it might be the most, like, the most fan interest that has ever existed for a pro wrestling show ever in history which just defies all logic. Like people, like even I don't understand that whatsoever. I do kind of feel glad that A, we got the tickets last year when the demand was not quite so high <laughs> and B, when the prices were not quite so high either. Well, I think the prices, as far as AEW's prices, their prices- They're not bad. They're pretty reasonable. But they're higher than last year. But the secondary market's taking real advantage of the demand for this. Yeah. So those tickets, man, they're sold out. They're gone. But if you want to buy them and pay an arm and a leg, you can still do that. Um, 
On that same card, they did announce a matchup between John Moxley taking on Kenny Omega, which is obviously going to be a. They announced that before they sold the tickets, so that's got to play a huge part into why I believe some of the uh, fan interest is so high. Plus, Chris Jericho and Hangman Page will be uh, wrestling in the main event for the uh, inaugural AEW uh, world title, so that's a big deal. Um, also, coming up um, in a couple weeks, Fighter Fest will be taking place on June 29th. The big news regarding this is that this show will be uh, available to all people domestically and abroad for free on the BR Live app. Well, in the U.S., it'll be BR Live. In, oh, and then international will be the Fight, Fight TV. TV. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the this is a really smart play on their uh, move. You know, we talked about um, when they when they did the um, the Double or Nothing show. They none of the final numbers are out, but you know the speculation is that they did over a hundred thousand pay per view buys, and that the split was fifty, almost fifty fifty between online and traditional uh, traditional pay per view, which nobody does a split like that. Like that's insane. Right. Normally, it's either like traditionals, the majority, with some um, internet. You know, and that that show did. The highest pay-per-view number of any non-WWF or WCW show in the United States. You know, the next highest show was like 2006 when Joe and um, Kurt Angle wrestled in TNA. Mm-hmm. That one did around 60K. So with no television, just, you know, hype, just online YouTube. marketing and YouTube, these guys did over 100,000 pay-per-view buys. But the, the deal with them is that if people go and they use BR Live, it's going to be way more profitable down the road for them than if they go through traditional uh, cable methods to get their pay-per-view because of just the split that's there. So the fact that they're giving away fighter festing, trying to get people to – you don't even have to pay for BR Live. You just have to create a profile and then you can watch it for free. Right. Getting people acclimated to using BR Live, getting people to download the app and – and create a login means that they are putting we in the sales uh, industry we call it like getting a hook in somebody they're putting the hook in people so that they can expand their audience so that when they do do um, say like double or nothing it greatly increases the chances that they're going to do more business on the streaming service than just traditional pay-per-view, which right. is a really smart idea. And in my line of work, we call that you know traditional inbound marketing. Yeah, they're collecting that email address, so they're going to be able to do some email blasts. You know, fight for the fallen is also going to be on the app, so you know when that comes around, they'll be able to email you. Hey, you know, make sure you log in for fight for the fallen and see Kenny Omega versus Shima. Dude, so smart. Yeah. On that same card, uh, John Moxley will be taking on Joey Janela. We will be there live, so we'll be able to give you a report on at least that match. Yep. Um, this past weekend, John Moxley was in Northeast Wrestling. Uh, he had a match against uh, Darby Allen, which he did win. I saw some of the clips of it. Looks like uh, that match is actually available for free now online. So if you want to, oh, watch it is. It. Yeah. Oh, I need to watch that. I saw some of the clips. Darby with his uh, arms like taped up behind his back doing uh, planchas and topes. Yeah. Now I did I did hear it was a pretty good match around three and a half, so nothing that was like match of the year, but something I definitely want to check out. Um, and then on the next night, uh, I don't know if it was a match or just a, a interaction. I think I think it was Mox versus Enzo, or Mox versus Cass in the main event. Well, Mox had a run in with uh, Enzo and Cass of WWE fame, and it looks like he destroyed both those uh, geeks. So yep. uh, interesting stuff there. Um, the news came out this, uh, I think just today or maybe yesterday, that 
Um, the match that they've been building between G.O.D. and Briscoes is going to pay off uh, at, with a street fight on July 20th at the Manhattan Mayhem show for Ring of Honor. So that will be for the Ring of Honor tag team titles. So, you know, I, I don't think G.O.D.'s uh, tag run over there has been super inspired, but with them going and the Briscoes having so much heat between them and then building to a street fight, that probably looks to actually be a pretty great match. Yeah, it should be. Um, also, this past week... Um, Will Ospreay and Amazing Red had a really interesting um, Twitter uh, conversation. Jeremy, I know you're a big Amazing Red mark. Yeah, man, I love Amazing Red. I saw this guy, you know, back in 02, 03 in Impact. I think he did some Ring of Honor stuff too, but mainly Impact is where I saw him. thought the guy was incredible. He's the first guy I'll see with the code red and a lot of great of these innovative spots that we see nowadays that people, you know, are doing. Um, and so he's a guy that I think should have been on a major uh, platform for a long time now. And um, he was supposed to have his last match during WrestleMania weekend for his own promotion, House of Glory. Um, never ended up having that uh, retirement match. And um, I, I miss—I forgot what the, how the Twitter exchange started, but pretty much Will Ospreay was like, you know, I will have the last match with you, uh, Amazing Red, and. And then I saw recently Amazing Red tweeted saying he's getting ready for his amazing his last match, and he tagged Will Ospreay. Yeah. Also, by the way, um, Will Ospreay, as well as I believe Juice and Zack Saber, are all moving to Japan. Yeah. And Will Ospreay tweeted out earlier today that he is in pro in the process of moving, like today. So yeah. a lot of these uh, Gaijin talents are making their homes over in Japan, which is real interesting stuff. But you know the the idea that you know we know that Will Ospreay is going to be significantly reducing his indie he already has this year but uh reducing his indie dates and his dates over in the uk and that sort of thing but the fact that he's willing to come over to the u.s to face amazing red in his final retirement match that is probably going to be an amazing match I, I i gotta get my hands on that match. hopefully it's in a promotion that's uh streaming or something now nothing is confirmed uh about where this could take place or would take place now we know that in the past, New Japan has actually let some of their talent work in uh, different promotions like GCW and PWG, which are both promotions that uh, Amazing Red and, and um, has history in, and that's a potential that they could distribute um, within one of those promotions. Also, the fact that Amazing Red is one of the House of Glory founders, or that is his promotion, right? Yeah, that's, a, that's his promotion. So there, there's every likelihood that that's probably where it would take place. That makes the most sense. Although I did read speculation that Ring of Honor actually could potentially be the company that gets the rights to that match. And that would be a bigger platform, a bigger stage, and would fit right in line with the New Japan Ring of Honor uh, relationship. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted when we find out more, but looking forward to that match for sure. Um, also, other news. Hikaleo is on uh, excursion with RevPro. So he's gone from the company for the time being. I don't think they're calling it an excursion. Right. They've just kind of labeled it as Bullet Club tag matches. I forgot who he's teaming with. Um, but, yeah, he's doing some stuff in... Uh, he's teaming with someone over there that, like, makes sense. I, I, it's not El Phantasmo, but it's somebody. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, also, real interesting, uh, they haven't had a great Okarn match since February over there. I don't yeah. know what's going on with Oka. Yeah, bring our dog Oka back. Yeah, bring my dog Oka back. <laughs> also, I seen some videos this past weekend of um, Kawato Sun over in CMLL. I mean, I've heard a lot of people like talk crap about him. I don't watch CMLL like that, but he looked pretty good to me. He was doing the <laughs> Man, flips. Bring Kawato back too. Bring Kawato back. Um, last bits of news. So 
Um, Stardom announced the five star Grand Prix, which is the women's version of the G1 Climax. She, she won. The she won. Yeah, we were making jokes earlier this week, and I was like, yeah, they need to bring men over into the Joshi programs. They need to make it uh, Tokyo uh, Pro Pro. Yeah. They need to make it um, All Japan Men's Wrestling. Yeah, I don't know. I forgot all the stuff I was saying. It was really funny at the time. But um, yeah, the, the five star Grand Prix, correct me if I'm wrong, is pretty much like it's a round robin tournament similar to the G1 for women, though. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, they have also, what, the Cinderella tournament? Yeah, that happened earlier this year. That's a single elimination. Wow, go figure. Big tournaments with big stakes on the line for, for women over in Japan. But, you know, New Japan needs, a, needs to have a women's division. Definitely. Oh, my God. And then the, the last bit of news, um, sad news. So, Willie Williams has passed away. Uh, this happened uh, just over this past weekend, just a few days ago. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with the name Willie Williams... He is um, a lesser known but very important and pivotal person in the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So he was a uh, Kyokushin um, karate practitioner, and he was somebody that had um, one of the uh, what they called different style fights with uh, Antonio Inoki back in the uh, early 80s. Actually, the match that they had took place on... um, I don't. Uh, February twenty seventh, nineteen eighty. You can actually watch the match on um, New Japan World. But why his passing is significant is because, you know, at the time um, Antonio Noki, if you're familiar with the history, he's one of the uh, precursors to what became shoot style pro wrestling, which turned into mixed martial arts and the whole entire explosion of MMA in in uh, Japan with K One and Pride and Dream and all those different. Uh, Companies they all kind of derive their roots and histories back to Antonio Inoki, and of all the matches that he had in Japan, one of the most profitable and most uh, widely viewed was the match that he had with um, Willie Williams. Willie Williams was not the greatest karate practitioner in the world, but at the time he was very very legitimate. He was world ranked. He had tons of titles and accomplishments. And he was very famous in Japan. He'd been featured in comic books and things like that. And his popularity became so much so that because of the fact that Inoki had fought so many different um, different martial artists and boxers and judokas and things like that, a groundswell started to basically rise to where people wanted to see Willie Williams, who everyone thought was legit, fight Antonio Inoki in a real fight. And you got to keep in mind these different style fights were promoted as real fights they were promoted as not pro wrestling but like a real real fight between different style martial artists um they fought for four rounds the match actually ended with uh in what you would call a fuck finish uh, both of these guys ended up on the outside brawling and um inoki ended up putting him in an arm bar and uh they got in the ring inoki had quote unquote broken ribs and um willie williams had a broken arm they couldn't continue the match so they threw the match out um, at the time, though, it was very important because Inoki had had about 14 other different style fights dating back to 1976. And this is viewed as one of the best uh, in-ring products when it comes to his uh, different style fights. Willie Williams is a towering individual, about six foot seven, 230 pounds, very lengthy. And I mean, the, even though it wasn't like – I wouldn't call this like a great match. Very, very, very stiff. Very, very like realistic. Uh, even up until a few years ago, if you went online and you looked up like karate fighter versus pro wrestler, you could find videos of this match 
with people talking about it all over the forums. And I'm not talking about pro wrestling forums. I'm talking about MMA forums, SureDog, Fight Finder, all these different places. This truly was a very, very historic fight in terms of like, because for some reason, this fight was actually distributed and traded way more than a lot of other Inoki's different style fights and has a better reputation. And it's still held up uh, in Japan as like an incredible MMA fight, even though it's proto MMA so much so that in 2003, when they were doing a uh, history uh, in the local media in Japan, they did a history of the greatest fights that ever took place in Japan soil. The number one uh, ranked fight in history was Inoki versus Willie Williams, and that was like, uh, like that was like the actual general press, like a conglomerate of voters that uh, voted on that. Um, so Willie Williams, they actually ended up bringing him back in like 1997 during um, Inoki's retirement tour to do a, a follow up, and Willie Williams did end up having a pro wrestling career. He ended up in Rings, which was the show shoot promotion of um, Akira Maeda having a pretty fruitful career over there. But um, that is going to be my recommendation. We we took your guys' advice and we decided we're going to move forward and do a uh, weekly recommended match of the week. We will take turns. So this is my week. And I recommend that for those of you who have never seen it, go out of your way and watch Willie Williams versus Antonio Inoki, February 27th, 1980. The fact that it's a uh, fuck finish, don't judge me for that. <laughs> the, the fact that it's really, it's not even judgeable on the star rating scale. Don't watch it for that. Watch it for history perspective and understanding of who Inoki was and his impact on not just pro wrestling, but the martial arts world and MMA, because that is a huge part of what New Japan is. And uh, our condolences and uh, best wishes and thoughts go out to Willie Williams' family who have to be mourning him at this point in time. Yeah, definitely prayers for the Williams family. Um, before we go, because I know you're about to, to gear up, do we want to talk about the G1 Pick'em cl- uh, Climax Pick'em contest? Uh, we will be doing one. Um, we'll have more details next week along with the G1 preview on all what's going to go along with that and the prizes and all that stuff. What I can tell you, you guys definitely want to uh, check in with that. You do want to listen next week because we are going to have the most comprehensive and the best breakdown of the G1 Climax and everything that's going on with it and the prize that we're going to have for this pick'em. We didn't do a G1 Climax pick'em last year, so this will be our first ever G1 Climax pick'em, and the prize is something you guys are going to want to learn about, hear about, and you're going to want to win it. Trust me. Yeah, so next week we'll be back with that G1 Climax 29 preview and predictions, and of course covering all latest news in the world, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, I am at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strongstyle. You can also follow us at Social Suplex on Facebook or Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. You can find us on Reddit. I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling, Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Thursdays, we have NXT, Then, Now, and Forever. Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturday, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Amy Euler. 
Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we'll catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Man, free my dog, Mox. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.